0: all right we're going to be listening to more of legal af live on facebook
1: we are going to be live on monday right here on the midas touch network where we'll be covering uh what the january Sixth committee will be doing in a public hearing on monday and they will be taking votes i think that's pretty much what they're going to be doing all day, yeah just voting on these criminal mm-hmm. referrals so you may recall back in november we heard about this subcommittee made up of a number of uh, of January sixth committee members. And so you had like um, who, who'd you have Pope? It, it's had, all
2: it's all it's all your home state. Um Liz had Schiff. Oh, I said Liz Chip. And Schiff. That's it. It's 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 the Lord only one of which ever served as a prosecutor, which will when you get to me I'll talk a little bit about that.
1: Let's get to you. Schiff was the prosecutor. <laughs> That's
2: right. It's always and California. so
1: and so what we learned is they've done their work, they've done their homework they're going to be submitting their report regarding criminal referrals. There will be votes taken by the full committee about whether to refer, right? These are, I, I won't ruin a pope, I'll give you a, give,
2: no, give, no, no. Give, I, that. Yeah, I, I liked your hot take on it, your trending take on it the other day. Um, look, the sub. There, there, this is like, we didn't really talk about it much. There is the main committee, and then there's like four or five subcommittees that have also been working behind the scenes focused on different things. One subcommittee was following the money. One subcommittee was following, you know, uh, you know, on the money flow. One was following the, 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 uh, the actual acts on on Jan. 6. One was focused on Trump, and one was focused on like potential crimes. And so the potential crimes committee, um, led by Liz Cheney, who you know is, is uh, famous for reading out loud things like the obstruction of official proceeding. Uh, statute the way you did on this podcast. She did during one of the eight hearings already as she was leading into some new evidence and presentation of the evidence. And the report that's coming out is separate. We're going to get a, it's already circulated. They've already printed a multi thousand page report that's broken down into seven or eight categories, which follow along with the same seven or eight prongs of the strategy that Trump used to undermine the fair elections and to cling to power and interfere with the peaceful transfer of power from before the election, casting doubt on the, um, casting doubt on the validity of the election process. So people would lose faith in it, calling it the big lie years before it even started, um, led by Roger Stone, Leading to the act, so taking away confidence in the election, attacking it the night of the election, um, attacking it from the night of the election all the way through uh, through Jan. 6, filing all those lawsuits, the crimes, the violence, all of that. So that's, that's all going to be outlined. And then there is this internal struggle about whether they're going to make a recommendation. Now here's where I take a little different tack than most people. You said it right. This is a non-binding, symbolic recommendation that will be voted on on Monday. By the Jan six committee do I think the subcommittee should make the recommendation if they believe it's it's proper, yes, I do, do I think, even though it's symbolic in nature as the final capstone to all of the investigative work, the hard work over two years that this committee has done, most of which we've seen the highlights of but not all of it we will see more of it in the final reporting. Yes, I do. Do I think it ties the hands of the Department of Justice a bit? Yes, I do. Do I also think that the Jan 6 Committee should have been more cooperative with the Department of Justice through this moment in turning over 1,000 plus witness statements and all of the evidence they had accumulated to allow the prosecutors in parallel to do their job? Yes, I do. Is it's 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 publicly known that the that the Jan Sickix Committee has been very territorial over all of their work and has not played nice in the sandbox of the Department of Justice, forcing them to send multiple letters, including right before Jack Smith was appointed, demanding a turnover of that material. That issue is important, and we're gonna see it played out over time because there is an argument that the defendants are gonna be given a gift that the Jan Six defendants are going to be given, that if any of the material in the hands of the Jan Six Committee, which is the government, is exculpatory to the defendants, meaning they we would help them with proving their innocence and it wasn't turned over in a timely fashion, we may have what's called a Brady or a Jenks violation because the department of because the Jan Six Committee has been holding their card so close to the vest. You why give them that gift? That's that's one of my issues with it. The last one is it's the reporting is already out. You did it, I've seen it through uh, Kyle Cheney, that it looks like they're gonna make at least three criminal referrals related to Donald Trump himself. Obstruction of an official proceeding, which we just at length talked about why that could be on life support at the appellate level. A conspiracy to defraud the US government, which is obstructing with a guilty mind through dishonest means Um, The election process or or this process and at least one other ones. So that's going to happen. The the problem I have is the standards by which the Jan 6 committee, based on the evidence that's at their disposal, is different than what the Department of Justice is going to be
0: doing. A,
2: you don't have a lot of prosecutors on that group got a lot of lawyers. I mean, lawyers are smart. I was never a prosecutor. I think I'm pretty okay in the legal world. You are, too. But you don't have the prosecutorial eye that a prosecutor has. Secondly, there has been the development of substantial new evidence that only the Department of Justice has that not even the Jan 6 Committee has. It runs both ways. They have developed a body of recent evidence. We're going to talk about it towards the end. Jack Smith, Jack Smith, Jack Smith. It's raining subpoenas. But they've Mm -hmm. developed through going to the grand jury court, which I'll call it, the court of Beryl Howell, and getting dozens of attorneys stripped of their attorney-client privilege protection and executive privilege being stripped by members of the West Wing for Donald Trump and having them testify in a way that they never were able to testify or didn't testify at the Jan 6th committee level. So the Department of Justice has... More and better evidence in certain areas than even the Jan 6 Committee does. But the Jan 6 Committee is going to make a report and recommendation effectively to the Department of Justice based on the static evidence that they've accumulated, which doesn't include the new evidence that Jack Smith's team has developed. And it, yes, it's going to put pressure on Merrick Garland, which is again proves the genius of Merrick Garland in advance of the Jan 6 Committee's criminal referral which is by its very nature coming from a political body. You can call it bipartisan if you like, but it is a political body that's making the recommendation. Look at the genius of Merrick Garland to set up a special counsel that is immune from proper attacks on his partiality or his partisanship, knowing that the Jan 6 committee was going to call for the head of Donald Trump from a political vantage point i think it's brilliant on merrick garland to have done that because think of it the other way ben he doesn't do that and now it looks like to the average citizen and you know trump will pick up that mantle that that the oh look the democrats for political purposes are weaponizing criminal prosecution they're leaning on the prosecutors and the doj improperly and i'm just the victim this puts
1: a nice buffer between that in the form of jack smith Agree with you and, and look as we as we said earlier, you, you don't give Trump an inch because Trump is good if you give him an inch he takes your throat. And Like even this morning Trump goes our country is sick inside very much like a person dying of cancer. The crooked FBI, the so called Department of Justice and intelligence, all parts of the Democrat Party and system is the cancer. These weaponized thugs and tyrants must be dealt with, or our once great, beautiful country will die. I mean, this guy, he's spiraling. The he's a nice. maniac. He is completely dangerous. And now you see to Popak, they're like, Bill Barr's a, a Democratic stooge, and Christopher Ray is a Democratic stooge. I mean, people Trump-appointed.
0: <laughs> these are these
1: are these are Republicans. I mean, Christopher Ray's not a MAGA, but he's a Republican. Bill Barr is a MAGA Republican. He just wouldn't go so deep down into conspiracy land where he thought he'd look foolish, but he went pretty far. And so when Trump talks about like in 2020, the FBI engaged in all of it, it's your FBI. You, were, you ran the government like what are you talking about. These are your people. Anyway, I digress. After
2: there. after this, uh, I need a drink. <laughs> uh, exactly. I need a drink. But, but wait, but wait, because you love my segues. Have you ever been to Scotland?
3: <laughs>
2: I have never been to Scotland. I've always wanted to go for a scotch tasting, which I'm going to accomplish sometime in my life. But you, we have an opportunity, and our viewers and listeners have an opportunity as a novelty to own a small piece of Scotland and get a title for themselves to boot. So we have a legal, legally interesting product from our sponsors. Perfect for Legal AF. Legal AF. The sponsor is Highland Titles. Scotland is unusual. You see, we're learning new, new law every day, Ben. And that it has legally defined in the Land Registration Act of 17, uh, 1979 a souvenir plot of land. These plots of land are so small that their value is solely commemorative or sentimental. They're novelty, but you can buy them as a gift. Because these plots cannot be registered with the Scottish Land Registry, there is no conveyancing, solicitors, or land taxes involved. Even though these plots cannot be registered in the conventional way, customers obtain, by owning them, a personal right of ownership. This is a valid form of ownership, which can be passed on to future future generations. So what can you do with one square foot of Scottish land? And what do you think you could do with it? I don't know. You, you tell me, Pope. I, what Island Titles allows you to style yourself as a lord or lady of your estate. Lord Mycellus. Oh my god, I pitch myself. Each luxury gift pack comes with a personalized certificate, which displays your new style and identifies your unique plot number. And it's not too late for the holidays because you can actually download your personalized certificate after checking out. Use the discount code LEGALAF to receive 25% off at www.highlandtitles.com. Www.highlandtitles,
1: Lord Popak. I've, I've waited for this day. Lord Popak. Lord Popak. Let's talk about this Dominion lawsuit against Fox. Things are getting interesting. There's a trial date. Set for April 2023. 2023, it's an existential yeah, yeah, case trying, for Fox. Yeah. You know, $1.6 billion is no joke. And billion with a B. One, yeah, 1. 1.6 yeah. billion, and they're facing a ton of other lawsuits uh, to uh, to come. Um, so the most recent developments this past week, Rupert Murdoch, was deposed by uh, Dominion. The first time Murdoch's really been under oath in a high-profile way since uh, 2011. When he appeared before the British Parliament after his Sunday National Enquirer style tabloid. There, um, oh, engaged, they hacked all the cell phones, hacked cell phones, engaged yeah. in all this crap There, he threw his son James under the bus. Like, James started talking, he's like, James did it. James, did it. we I'm haven't seen
2: I'm gonna fix it. Okay, for those that love succession, which is based on Rupert Murdoch and his family, and these kind of stories you might think we're talking about a last the episode of succession but he literally as ben just said they hacked phones of journalists and other people and celebrities and published it in their newspapers the murdoch family and then rupert threw james who we haven't seen since under the bus under the bus for having done it
1: yeah at, a, at the public hearing before parliament james starts talking and then rupert's like let me talk right now for a second this is the most humbling experience for me, and I am going to fix what he did. No, Jonah. Yeah, no. no, this is um, a succession. It's, yeah, yeah, amazing. yeah. So Rupert Murdoch was deposed, um, and around the same time, maybe in a week before, but right around the same time, uh, we learned about it uh, earlier in the week, was that Dominion had filed what's called a spoliation motion against Fox for their deletion which appears to be either intentional or certainly very, very, very reckless of like their key reporters, text messages and emails about Dominion. And Popak, you wanted to take us through quickly. Yeah. The and why this is so critical and what the sanctions could be here.
2: Yeah. So you got a one point six billion dollar case because of Fox um, Fox News and all of its on air personalities like Bartiromo and Hannity and Dobbs and Carlson. All promoted these uh, theories and these alleged opinions that Dominion um, was in bed with the Venezuelan government, was allowing its equipment to be hacked, to turn the election in favor of Biden against Trump. You know, basically attacking their business model and undermining their um, credibility uh, to ever attract another local government or government to hire them to uh, roll out their their election voting machines, destroying their business. And they did it all according to Dominion with actual malice, meaning a complete reckless disregard for the truth, knowing that it was either untrue or a reckless disregard for whether we don't care whether it's true or not, we're publishing it or we're allowing it to be on our airwaves. And as you reported and I reported, they've already, the judge, and this is sitting in a different court that we've talked about usually in Delaware, sitting in the Delaware Superior Court, not the Chancery Court, Superior Court in front of a former colleague of mine, Eric Davis who used to work in a law firm that I used to work at a million years ago. And it's a rough and tumble courthouse in Delaware, unlike this kind of staid, almost British style system in Delaware Chancery Court, where the Twitter case has been and other things we've talked about. And Superior Court's like the wild, wild west. And they've already, and they, okay, they will, they have already, um, Uh, The judge has already found that all of the employment contracts for all of these on-air personnel have to be turned over to the other side to see if there's a bonus structure where they get bonuses and more money based on ratings. Um, Turn over all the documents. Everybody's been deposed. All the on-air people have been deposed. Um, Lachlan Murdoch was deposed last week. Rupert over two days, we're at the very, very top of this thing, and then in the middle of it, you get a motion that, that they've destroyed documents that should have been preserved and turned over at the appropriate time, and if the judge, Eric Davis, who so far hasn't suffered any fools with Fox, and has been sort of annoyed by them, and is putting this on a very fast track towards a trial, and has already denied their motion to dismiss, if he finds that there was intentional spoliation of evidence, destruction of evidence, in order not to turn it over to the other side, there is going to be a penalty to be paid, including an instruction to the future jury that they should make an adverse inference in conclusion about the reason that that was destroyed, so it was the jury would know about it, and the jury would be instructed to penalize Fox News and assume that everything that was destroyed was really bad for them which is great for Dominion and terrible for Fox. So they're gonna fight hard against spoliation if that really happens. In the meantime, this case has gotten so active that the owner of the entire organization, the 85 plus year old, Rupert Murdoch has had to testify over two days. We don't know the results of it. It will become more public as they file motion practice in court and as we get as we get to the jury. But this is there is nothing that's going to derail this case, not even summary judgment. This is going to a jury trial unless there is a settlement, a huge 9, 10, 11 figure, whatever settlement with Fox News, because I don't think Dominion can go away for
1: anything less. You know, and I think the big one of the big pieces of evidence there is you have Suzanne Scott, the CEO of Fox News, Dominion, was able to find an email shortly after the election where Suzanne Scott, CEO of Fox, says, don't give the crazies an inch. Not only did they give the crazies an inch, they let the crazies literally take over the network, which goes to your point, Popak, the malice. Um, and the reckless disregard of the truth there. Speaking of malice and reckless disregard for the truth, let's talk about these MAGA Arizona loser candidates. Losers in general, losers in the election, losers in how they handle defeat. The hat trick of Loserville right here in Arizona. Um, you know, you had Mark Fincham, who ran for Secretary of State against the Secretary of State-elect, Adrian Fontes. Um, Fincham's lawsuit in Maricopa County was just thrown out. He put forward all those same conspiracies that Kerry Lake does, set aside the vote, appoint me Secretary of State. The judge not only rejected all of Fincham's claims, but called them frivolous, wholly unsupported by the record, and fatally flawed, and Fincham would be reaching out to all of the MAGA extremists in the right-wing echo chamber. Everything's going great in this, you know, the judge totally gets what we're talking about. And then you have a ruling like this, then they just go, the judge is a rhino, the judge is a a proxy for the Democratic Party, you know, that's their shtick. And similarly, you know, with Carrie Lake, just the constant lies and deceit and gaslighting and, and the way she like even works her own right-wing radical supporters and doesn't even explain what's happening. Like a week ago or two weeks ago, she filed the lawsuit claiming intent and malice and that the 17,000 plus votes, it's like Trump, find me the 11,000 votes. You know, that the 17,000 votes were illegal, that she lost by it. All of those should be thrown out. Has no basis, has no support. And in that case, the judge said this past week there was a uh, status conference held on tuesday and it just goes to show you why it's important to just talk about the facts and why these MAGA extremists live in like this alternate universe and so the judge set at this hearing on tuesday he set a expedited dismissal process where maricopa county and uh, katie hobbs they've already filed their motions to dismiss governor-elect hobbs they've already filed Their motion to dismiss. That's how quick the judge said it. And on Saturday, on a weekend, the judge ordered Kerry Lake to respond. And what the judge basically said is, in the event it's not dismissed, we're holding an evidentiary hearing right away. And Kerry Lake, show me the seventeen. Go through it all and show me how each seventeen thousand was. It was unlawful, which she'll never be able to do because it's all based on conspiracy and lies and so the objective legal observer who is dealing with reality and data says this judge is not buying at all what Carrie Lake is selling and wants to make sure this case is dismissed immediately and if for whatever reason it's not dismissed on the papers he's going to hold an immediate evidentiary hearing where Carrie Lake better show 17,000 affidavits or have you know bulletproof evidence of what she says which she's not going to be able to do because it's all based on conspiracy and lies now, Carrie Lake and all of her supporters were like, "This is big. The judge ordered the deep state and the the democratic leftist communists to go to trial. We're going to trial. This is exactly what we wanted It's just the same stuff that they that they just lie about over and over again, and that Trump gaslights about in 2020, they're not living in an objective reality world where anybody who sees what takes place goes, this case is gonna get dismissed in the next five days. Um, You know, now it's gonna get dismissed, the judge is gonna probably write an order like this judge did over here in the Fincham case, saying it's frivolous and wholly unsupported um, by the record and fatally flawed. So we'll keep you updated there, but wanted to alert you of the existence of those cases and where they are. And finally, Popak, you you said it, raining subpoenas from special counsel Jack Smith, sending it to all these state election officials, state secretary um, of, of states as well. So a lot of development there. And to me, it indicates we're moving closer to indictments. Talk to us about it, Popak.
2: Yeah, I think that um, Jack Smith, as we've said before, has let no grass grow under his broken leg, and um, he's moving full steam ahead. Um, it, It just shows you by the sheer volume and targeted focus of the subpoenas, where they are with the grand juries, three or four of them, that Jack Smith ultimately supervises on the prosecutor side. Of course, it all goes to Beryl Howell as the chief judge in the District of in that district um, to make rulings along the way, secret rulings, but rulings along the way about these grand juries. But, you know, they're obviously focused on fake electors. They're obviously focused on interference by Trump, particularly, and those around him in the uh, with a local and state election officials. Um, So interference there, in the certification, in the fake electors, in everything else that went to the Lack of peaceful, uh, the the, uh, uh, undermining of the peaceful transfer of power. You know, you see all the names that, you know, those that have been targeted or received the subpoenas, many of them, secretaries of state of various states, local election officials, and the like, have revealed to reporters who's on the list. And there's, you know, lists of 19 and 20 names, starting with Donald Trump and ending with, you know, that whole group of lawyers that you've talked about. not not Alina Habba, but John Eastman and, and uh, Jeff Clark in the Department of Justice at the time for Trump, and Cleta Mitchell, and um, Rudy Giuliani, and Sidney Powell, and Lynn Wood, and everybody else that's been orbiting Trump, most of which are on their way to being disbarred if they haven't been already. And so it just shows that um, for those that wondered, A, how is Jack Smith going to operate from the Hague while he's recuperating from his leg? The answer is just fine. So, you know, he is on top of a, a, he's built a team, he inherited a team of prosecutors that are all career professionals. He's also brought in a number of his own hand-picked special prosecutors to work under him. And, you know, because there's a lot of levers here that have to be pulled by the Department of Justice and by Jack Smith, the special counsel. So if I'm Merrick Garland and I'm looking back at my pick I'm thinking, oh, what a masterstroke! This guy is doing exactly what I wanted at the speed and velocity at which is required, and no one can challenge. You can see a lot of things about Jack Smith, and Lord knows, in prior news cycles, Trump has tried to attack his wife as a documentarian and this and that. But you know, he is he is Terminator. He is RoboCop. He is he is he is a non-partisan, independent, career, professional prosecutor who when he wasn't prosecuting, the Mafia was prosecuting war criminals, perfect to go after Donald Trump. And look, um, as we anticipate next week's week's legal AF and during the midweek, a lot of bad things are going to be happening to Trump next week. Monday, there's going to be a vote, of course, that we talked about in favor of the uh, criminal referrals by the Jan 6 Committee. But on Monday or Tuesday as well, the House Ways and Means Committee is probably going to vote to release Donald Trump's tax returns to the public. So this next week is going to be another and an increasingly consistent group of shitty weeks for Donald Trump and great <laughs> weeks for democracy, um, led by in this case the uh, led by the outgoing 118th Congress and its two major committees.
1: Good thing that there's a show that addresses <laughs> all of these legal developments twice a week. It's called Legal AF with Ben Meiselas, Michael Popak, and Karen Friedman Agnifilo. We want to thank all of you for watching this today. Show. If you all want to support the Midas Touch Network, check us out at
3: patreon.com slash Midas Touch. P A T. We get there, but most importantly, we're not funded by any outside investors
1: at all. 100% accountable to you. 100% crowd. Funded, (laughs) 100% independent, wherever you are in the world, check it out, patreon.com slash check out store.midustouch.com, store.midustouch.com for the best pro-democracy gear out there. Gear up at store.midustouch.com. Thank you all for watching this episode of...
0: Hmm. Looking at a Russ McClay painting. We ruined it by mentioning Kanye. Flame lily. I'm gardening. National flower of Zimbabwe. It's the flame lily. Okay, Krista, get out of. Get out of Facebook. Go to YouTube. Evidence of Jesus's birth revealed. The History Channel. You know, it's those kind of shows—they like always ask a ton of questions. They never answer any of the fucking ifs. their own questions. Arctic sinkholes. Um, I want stuff that'll blow my mind. Ancient aliens. Oh yeah, I, I wanted to do a, a a binge fest on ancient aliens, and I think you guys like it too. So. Ancient Aliens, Strange Aliens with Miraculous Powers, History Channel, two weeks ago.
4: Kathy broke up with you? But why?
0: Because
5: I'm poor. She feels embarrassed when her friends see me with her. And Billy can buy her all the things that I cannot. How can she forget that it was you who took care of her for a month when
6: she broke her arm? Anyway, let me take you out for dinner tonight. My
7: dream Alex gets up and starts walking towards his college dorm door.
5: Where
6: are you going this early in the morning? To the bank. Bank? Don't
8: do anything stupid.
6: Alex! Alex Ambrose, a
7: 19-year-old student whose girlfriend humiliated him for being poor and dumped him when he caught her cheating with his classmate Billy the previous night, reaches Bank of America early in the morning. He walks inside the bank in his dirty clothes that he hasn't washed in a week with rage in his eyes when, accidentally, he bumps into a beautiful young girl. Are you blind?
5: Uh, I'm sorry, I, I didn't
7: see you. You didn't see me? Who the hell let you inside the bank anyway? Security! The beautiful girl looks away to call the security guard, and when she turns back, she notices that the man has disappeared. Alex reaches the VIP banking section.
5: Yes, sir, is there a problem? I am here to withdraw money. The manager looks at Alex in shock. Sir, you must be in the wrong section. This is the private banking segment of Bank of America. And here, you need a minimum of $3 million to open an account. You must.
9: I, uh,
5: I I have an account. Hmm. Can I have your card? Uh, I don't have a card.
7: The manager is about to hit the panic button underneath his desk. But you can take my fingerprint. The manager stops. He's still suspicious, but decides to give Alex the benefit of the doubt. Alex places his finger on the machine, and the red light starts beeping, which automatically (laughs) activates the security alarm. He can see security guards rushing towards him, and he immediately places his other finger on the machine in panic, and the light turns green. Mr. Ambrose, account number 001. The manager looks at him in utter disbelief. It's the first ever private account that was opened in Bank of America. (laughs) Everyone around him looks at him in confusion, while Alex just stands there with a smirk on his face. Was Alex secretly rich, or is he scamming the bank? And if he is rich, why did he deliberately live in poverty? Will his girlfriend regret breaking up with him? To find out, listen to the free audiobook, Insta Millionaire. (laughs)
9: mysterious surgeries performed by early humans
10: very well planned and it happened well before the advent of modern medicine
8: strange
9: beings with miraculous powers
8: even though the gods forbade it he was actually able to raise the dead. and the cover-up destroying centuries of scientific knowledge
9: people are afraid of it the religious side especially afraid our recent breakthroughs in medicine really the result of years of research or does the knowledge of healing really come from an otherworldly
4: source it would seem to be that this is medical knowledge that's coming from some advanced civilization of extraterrestrials
9: millions of people around the world believe we have been visited in the past by extraterrestrial beings what if it were true Did ancient aliens really help to shape our history? And if so, do stories of advanced medical procedures in the distant past provide further proof of mankind's extraterrestrial origins?
0: Who were they? Why did they come? coming
3: back.
9: 2012, Houston, Texas. Doctors use robotic technology to perform complex heart surgery through incisions no larger than a keyhole. Chicago, Illinois. An amputee climbs 103 floors using a thought-controlled bionic leg. At the University of Iowa, researchers develop technology that fabricates custom body parts using 3D printers. In the last 100 years, scientific advances have dramatically improved mankind's ability to heal itself. More, in fact, than at any time in the last five centuries.
11: Throughout history, medicine is about correcting physical problems, restoring a patient to health, relieving suffering. We've seen tremendous advances over the last three decades, but there was a remarkable degree of sophistication and a surprisingly high success rate achieved by prehistoric surgeons. Many of the procedures of modern medicine derivatives of the ancient operations evidence of advanced medical procedures
9: practiced in the ancient world has been found everywhere from carvings on the walls of temples to skeletal remains all over the world but just who were the practitioners of this extraordinary science and where did their knowledge of the human body come
12: from Most cultures around the world uh, thought that if something was physically wrong with you, uh, it probably also related to something perhaps spiritually wrong with you. And so we also find that physicians or healers very often were not just healing the body uh, in our mundane sense, but also healing the soul. And therefore they had to be somewhat
8: of a religious figure as well. To be a doctor, in the ancient world, that you have some kind of special relationship with a god who has gifted you with the power to heal. A doctor was simultaneously a kind of tradesman and had kind of learned a skill, but also a sort of cultic figure as well who had an association with a god and would therefore use magical cures to deal with problems. Our ancestors said that medicine came from the gods Our ancestors have said that the gods really gave manuals as to how to be living healthy, how to restore health to a human individual. They realized something about our physical bodies, which we are only beginning to understand once again. Could it be that ancient healers were guided by alien beings?
9: And if so, our recent advances in modern medicine actually a rediscovery of methods practiced thousands of years ago. Saqqara, Egypt. Here, across from this towering steppe pyramid lies the physician's tomb, also known as the tomb of Ankhmahor. According to archeologists, it was built more than 4,000 years ago for one of the most important officials of the ancient Egyptian civilization.
13: I'm taking you inside the physician's tomb, where you get a glimpse of how they performed complex medical and surgical operations in ancient times. But what's amazing about this tomb is that the physician, Ark lived 4,300 years ago and he performed very complex surgical and medical operations. We can see here a circumcision 2,000 years before the Bible. And here we see a scene of reflexology. We can see them muscling and flexing the muscles. Also here an amazing operation, a surgical operation on the hands. It is even suggested that they may have had brain surgery moving tumors. But where did they get the knowledge from? Well, they say that they got it from thought. The God Making art can be a
14: struggle. I've been there. You know when you have this feeling or this idea that you want to convey,
13: you want... The God of wisdom and science who brought to them all the knowledge from the gods.
9: Known for his abilities in science, magic, and medicine, Thoth was worshipped for centuries as the god of wisdom and healing. According to ancient myth, this divine physician healed the eye of the Egyptian god Horus after his uncle Set gouged it out in an epic battle for power. As a result, the eye of Horus became an important symbol of restoration and good health. But was Thoth only a mythical deity, as mainstream scholars believe? Or might he have been something, or someone, who actually
6: existed? Ancient Egyptian medicine was anything but primitive. There are clear examples of energetic medicine that are beyond our technological capabilities. It seems as if these technologies were brought in and were given to them as a complete package, rather than something that developed out of a society that before then had been extremely primitive. And the Egyptians themselves said that Thoth was responsible for this. But who,
9: or what, was Thoth? Might he have been not a divine being, but an alien visitor? one possessing advanced scientific
15: knowledge in the egyptian pantheon of gods thoth is the one with the head of an ibis but the body of a human being he was the egyptian father of medicine meaning he descended from the sky and he gave them that knowledge might
9: Thoth have been not a divine being, as the Egyptians believed, but an alien visitor who possessed advanced scientific knowledge.
0: And a bird face. One from
9: whom the Egyptians learned their ability to heal. Perhaps Ah. the answer can be found by examining the story of one of the most advanced surgeons in the history of India. Ah. Varanasi, India. 500 miles southeast of Delhi. Located on the banks of the Ganges, Varanasi is one of the oldest cities on earth, a city that, according to legend, was founded by the gods. Long known as a center of knowledge and learning, Varanasi was once home to an ancient physician by the name of Sushruta, who many historians
4: credit with developing the art of surgery. In ancient India, The early physician was a guy named Sushruta, and he was a surgeon and physician who would do skin grafts, cataract removals, even early plastic surgery on people. So once again, we have someone whose medical knowledge seems so advanced for his time. Sashruta is also considered to be
9: the first practitioner of Ayurveda, one of the oldest known systems of medicine in the world. According to Hindu legend, Sashruta is said to have received this knowledge from a god known as Danvantari.
14: Danvantari was a high-level god, as we would know them, who provided all the information on this complete healing modality based on an understanding of the physical and subtle aspects of the body. And it was passed through to Indian culture in ancient times, and has been preserved and expanded since then.
9: Though he is most often depicted as having four arms and holding medicinal herbs, the god Danvantri was also a shapeshifter. According to legend, during his journeys to Earth, he could take on other forms, including that of a bird. Is it possible that both Don Vantri and the half-man, half-bird Egyptian god of healing, Thoth, were connected in some way? And if
15: so, how? Whether it's Don Vantari or Thoth, we learn of these extraterrestrial divinities very often being portrayed as bird-like beings who delivered the knowledge of ancient medicine to Earth. This tells us that our original knowledge of medicine, human anatomy, and how to heal the body came from extraterrestrial sources. Sushruta was very clear in stating that he learned this knowledge from the gods. Who were the gods? Extraterrestrials.
8: Every culture will tell you that the first surgeon, that medicine that healing was a gift of the gods. That is extraordinarily interesting because it really shows that the benefit of mankind was accomplished through the intervention and the knowledge of the deities.
9: How is it possible that ancient cultures, separated by thousands of miles, shared similar stories about a bird-like creature? Could it be true, as ancient astronaut theorists suggest, that this extraordinary being was actually a highly skilled extraterrestrial from another world? And
5: might... Would a gold digger ever leave a guy who is going to inherit fifty million million?
7: Harry, what the hell? Why would you agree to pick garbage in the college? There's nothing more embarrassing than this. Harry
5: Parker literally picks up garbage in and around his college and is nicknamed the Trash Prince. What his classmates and girlfriend don't know is that Harry is indeed a prince, an heir to the billions of the Parker family.
7: I'm breaking up with you, Harry. I'm sick of living in poverty with you. This is not what I want in life.
5: Before Harry could say anything, Bella left. Insulted, Harry walked home and wondered if he should have told Bella about his millions. Just then, Harry gets a call. The caller tells Harry something that makes him extremely anxious.
6: I'm gonna make Bella regret it.
5: The next morning, Harry rushes to Citibank and enters the biometrically secured VIP access lounge. Noticing the shabbily dressed man running in the bank, the assistant branch manager panics and barks at the security guards. Why didn't you stop him? Did you even look
7: at him? That man in rags just went upstairs! Our bank only serves the most elite families of New York. He cannot possibly have an account here. Grab him! We cannot let him steal from us.
5: As Harry casually walks out of the VIP lounge with a heavy stack of cash, the bank guards, who were almost about to jump on him, suddenly freeze. Why did the bank guards freeze? If Harry was a billionaire, why was he still in rags and collecting trash? What will happen to his girlfriend who broke up with him because he's too poor when she finds out that he's a millionaire?
9: And might he have traveled across the globe in an effort to teach early humans the art of healing? Perhaps more clues can be found in a collection of mysterious skulls discovered in the ruins of yet another ancient civilization. Northern Turkey, 2010. While digging at an archaeological site in the Samsun province, archaeologists unearth hundreds of skeletal remains and ancient skulls dating back more than 4,000 years. Strangely, 14 of the skulls have large holes, providing what some scholars believe is proof that ancient man carried out a remarkably sophisticated type of brain surgery
11: called cranial trepanation. Trepanation is making an opening into the skull. We do it on a routine basis in today's neurosurgery to get exposure of the brain, to remove a tumor, or remove a blood clot. But it was done in ancient times probably to repair traumatic brain injuries from
4: accidents and war injuries. Ancient cultures did this all over the world, yeah. in Peru, in Europe, in Asia, in Africa. They were literally cutting holes in people's heads, successfully opening up their skulls, removing skull material, and then covering it up again. And the patients were surviving them and living long lives.
9: Even with the delicate and highly sophisticated tools in use today, neurosurgery is a complicated and risky procedure, one involving the body's most complex organ, the human brain.
11: Today's neurosurgery uh, provides us with some remarkable new digital tools. We have what is the equivalent now of a GPS system that allows us to navigate around the intracranial space We also are able to use preoperative imaging now to create an individual map of the brain and the brain function. Those maps are critical to do modern neurosurgery. But how could an
9: ancient civilization have learned such highly advanced methods for operating on a human brain, hundreds of years before such procedures were even attempted in other parts of the world? Perhaps the answers can be found looking at a collection of human skulls discovered a century ago near the peruvian andes here at the san diego museum of man Hmm. is an extensive display of pre-columbian antiquities including one of the largest collections of skulls in the world dr tori randall a chief paleoanthropologist has spent years studying the ancient practice of trepanation.
10: These skulls are about a thousand years old. They're Incan skulls and um, they're special because they have trepanations and you can see from the hole right here in the head, they've had skull surgery performed on them. It seems likely that a lot of these trepanations were happening based on warfare or healing some type of traumatic injury. They seem to have performed the actual trepanations in parts of the skull where there wasn't a lot of cranial musculature, which would have made it more difficult. One thing that they used were tumis, which are usually made out of bronze or copper. And they're this little curvilinear knife. This is definitely a very well-planned-out practice, very successful, and it happened well before the advent of modern medicine. And the fact that so many individuals survived meant that they were very good at it.
11: It's remarkable that we see evidence of healing and recovery and survival in so many of the archeological specimens, the skulls, that show signs of bone healing. They must have had a good sense of meticulous technique, but it had to be a rough ordeal for the individual patient.
9: According to Dr. Randall's findings, the Inca surgeons were also skilled at avoiding parts of the brain that would have damaged important
15: nerves and affected motor skills. What this means is that our ancient ancestors had extraordinary information about the brain. It means that they had detailed knowledge about human anatomy, way beyond what we normally attribute to them. It involves an extraordinary amount of scientific information.
6: All over the world, we see skulls with curious small holes drilled in. In these ancient cultures, the practice of trepanation was often said to have been given to them by the gods. So it's possible that extraterrestrial technology had the ability to see into the brain.
9: Could the ancient Incan knowledge of brain surgery have really come from an extraterrestrial source? And if so, might ancient alien visitors have passed on any other medical knowledge?
16: Have you ever wondered why Tarzan pounds his chest? Well, many primates pound their chest or thump their chest when there's danger or threat. But it is also believed that they do it because right here is the thymus gland and they thump it to activate the gland and get a boost of energy. And you can do that too. You can thump yours with me right here and you can also massage. You actually want to do that because your thymus starts to shrink after
17: puberty and it rapidly shrinks for the rest of your life. It, it could leave you at greater risk for life-threatening infections. And so you can thump
16: your thymus anytime and you might think, this looks silly and can it really no. work?
9: And if so, might ancient alien visitors have passed on any other medical knowledge? Ancient astronaut theorists believe further evidence can be found just a few hundred miles from where the trepanned Incan skulls were found. 80 miles northwest of the famous Nazca Lines lies the small city of Ica, Peru. In 1966, a local physician named Javier Cabrera acquired several andesite stones unearthed in the desert here, stones etched with mysterious depictions of ancient pre-Columbian people.
8: The Ica stones really give a different perspective on what the locals believed history was all about. And the Ica stones, what they really spell out, or indicate at least, is that history is not the way we know it. Each of these stones is
4: inscribed with unusual scenes, people interacting with what seems to be prehistoric animals, people looking through telescopes. Uh, Some of the Ica stones seem to be strange maps of the world before ours. And one of the things that the Ica stones depicts is ancient surgeries. Also carved on dozens of these
9: stones are images of brain surgeries, caesarean sections, and even tracheotomies. But one stone is among the most mysterious. It is thought to depict two surgeons with a heart between them, as they appear to be reconnecting the blood vessels. Could this really be evidence that ancient man was capable of transplanting
15: a human heart? The Stones are one of the very few examples of our ancients actually performing surgery.
4: It seems impossible that ancient people were doing anything like this, and therefore it would seem to be that this is knowledge and medical knowledge that's coming from some advanced civilization of extraterrestrials. Is it possible,
9: as ancient astronaut theorists suggest, that extraterrestrial beings taught mankind advanced medical procedures like cranial trepanation and heart transplants in the distant past? And if so, might these alien beings have shared other, perhaps even more profound secrets and techniques of healing? Some researchers believe further evidence can be found In the legends and mythologies of the ancient Irish people and a god they knew on earth was the only life that existed in the universe of Asclepius and Asclepius
15: would visit them in a dream and the Ica stones are one of the very few examples of our ancients actually performing surgery.
4: It seems impossible that ancient people were doing anything like this. And therefore, it would seem to be that this is knowledge and medical knowledge that's coming from some advanced civilization of extraterrestrials. Is it possible, as ancient
11: astronaut it theorists
9: suggest, that extraterrestrial beings taught mankind advanced medical procedures like cranial trepanation, and heart transplants in the distant past uh-huh. and if so might these alien beings have shared other perhaps even more profound secrets and techniques of healing some researchers believe further evidence can be found in the legends and mythologies
3: of, of the, the ancient
9: irish people and a god they knew as dion kecht Chicago, Illinois, 2006. Scientists pioneer a stunning biomechanical advancement, a thought-controlled robotic arm. Outfitted with electrodes that connect to the nerves of the wearer, the prosthetic works just like an actual arm and hand, receiving signals from the brain and giving the user a functioning new limb. As scientifically sophisticated as this is, ancient astronaut theorists point to a remarkably similar account in an ancient story from the British Isles.
14: Irish Smith has a story about a divine physician called Deinsect. He has herbs to heal every affliction of the human body and soul and the people, whether they're wounded in battle or they're afflicted in childbirth or miscarriage or headaches or whatever the malady is, they will go to Diensecht for healing.
12: Diensecht is known as the physician of the gods or he was the celebrated physician of the Tuatha Dé Danann, which was sort of a semi-divine early group of people in Irish lore. According to Celtic tradition,
9: the Tuatha Dé Danann were a race of supernatural beings that came to Ireland riding on dark clouds. Dion Kecht was one of these otherworldly beings and a physician who sometimes used his knowledge to treat humans. In the most famous account of his medical feats, the Irish god heals
12: a king named Nuada who becomes injured in battle. During a heated battle, Nuado lost his arm. Because of this, he could no longer be king. Kings were supposed to be physically pure, according to the ideas of this time. So he had to surrender his kingship for a while. And during this time period, Diankex was the one who actually fashioned him an arm out of silver. So he became known as Nuado of the Silver Hand or Nuado of the Silver Arm.
17: The story of
12: Hey guys, my name is Daniel
11: and I created this painting, but I didn't start here. I used to never think of myself as an artist or even think.
17: The story of Dion Kecht giving King Nwad an arm that was made out of silver really sounds like a modern science fiction story. It almost sounds like prosthetics.
9: Is the story of Dion Kecht a myth, as mainstream historians believe? Or might King Nuada's silver arm have actually been an advanced bionic machine, just like the ones being developed today. If so, is it possible Not that the Celtic like god no. Dion Kecht was, in fact, an extraterrestrial
15: being? It could just be according
11: looks to his like legend, Dion
15: Kecht replaced King Nuada's arm with a silver arm that was fully functional. You know so is it possible that what we have here invention of eyeglasses. The Catholic Church went ballistic with the invention of eyeglasses.
0: History channels, ancient idea, aliens.
15: The idea that the human body is improvable. During the Inquisitions, the Catholic Church took a full steam charge on squashing out a lot of these pagan ideas that were medical science to them at the time, revolutionary, but did not jive well with the Church. One reason the Church launched the Inquisition was to eliminate the average person's connection with this ancient indigenous knowledge that put power in the hands of the individual and took the power out of the hands of the church.
13: Long before Christianity, you had healings, absolutely supernatural healings, so people are afraid of it. The religious side is especially afraid. Was the
9: Catholic Church's attack on scientific knowledge a deliberate attempt to erase any connection between mankind and its relationship to otherworldly visitors? Visitors whose very existence would undermine the Church's strongly held teaching that life on earth was the only life that existed in the universe. Did the Inquisition succeed in destroying centuries of advanced scientific and medical knowledge? Knowledge we are only now starting to retrieve. Perhaps another clue can be found by studying a medical procedure that actually survived the Inquisition, one that has been practiced for thousands of years. The Italian Alps, September 19th, 1991. Here, high on a snow-laden mountainside near the Austrian border, two hikers discover the mummified corpse of a man. Frozen in place for an estimated 5,000 years, the body, later nicknamed Utzi, is carefully examined and so well preserved that scientists are able to determine his age, how he died, and even the contents of his final meal. But perhaps the most incredible discovery of all were the markings found along Utsi's legs and back, 50 geometric designs that correspond to those found in the science of acupuncture. Acupuncture
14: is a a long and well-tested modality that moves energy through a kind of subway system in the body they're known as meridians with about a thousand treatment points all the treatment points have names and many of them have references to stars and very interesting things that don't seem to correlate with the body
9: a medical therapy that targets an energy field that practitioners believe flows through the human body acupuncture was originally believed to have been developed in China approximately 3,000 years ago. The tattoos found on the skin of this Bronze Age mummy suggest that acupuncture was not only practiced in Europe, but practiced centuries earlier than most archaeologists and historians had believed possible. But how? Perhaps the answer can be found. By examining the ancient Chinese medical book called the Wang Di Neijing, the oldest text known to give a detailed description of acupuncture.
0: First, the medical book is wrote 2,500 years ago. It's called Wang Di Neijing, Yellow Emperor's Classic Medicine. In this book, his uh, whole system is talk about all the channels, meridians, and the treatment methodology and strategies.
9: According to Chinese mythology, one of the first practitioners of acupuncture was a physician named Bianche, often depicted as a human-headed bird.
6: Bianche is a legendary example of a healer who used supernatural means in order to accomplish his treatments. Bianche apparently could consume some herb and once he ingested this substance, whatever it was, He could apparently see through walls and see directly into the human body, much like a CAT scan or an MRI. And he was accredited with doing a double heart
4: transplant on an emperor and another person. (laughs) So you have to wonder now, where did they even get this idea?
15: Beyond K is another of those extraordinary beings who's described as half-human and half-bird. This puts him in the league with such figures as Thoth and other divine beings who are also half-human and half-bird, and who delivered to humanity amazing knowledge, especially about medicine and human transformation.
9: Could it be mere coincidence is that it the half half-bird Chinese healer known as Bianchei Closely resembles both the ancient Egyptian deity Thoth and the Indian god, Don Vantri.
3: Uh, huh.
9: is it possible, as is ancient astronaut possible? theorists claim, that these ancient so-called gods were actually extraterrestrial beings?
0: Extraterrestrial
9: beings, in beings. of highly advanced medical knowledge.
8: I think acupuncture is one of these sciences which came from the gods and was given to our ancestors. And so even though we might think that acupuncture,
0: okay, we're going to try again, enjoy dismiss major announcement in fraud case. Watch your wrinkles disappear. Put on your face
18: in all the places where you want to see your wrinkles. Is that when you're covering old Donnie, his defeats and his moments of tragedy don't just come in isolated one-by-one patterns. They're actually coming in bunches. And that's what happened this afternoon slash this evening as he's taken three major defeats each one more humiliating than the last. And he's got nothing left but to complain, but to cry witch hunt, and most pathetically and most desperately, to demand that a judge in one of the highest profile cases he's currently losing, simply be fired from the job. That he's got uh-huh. no other argument, and he knows this judge is fair, a.k.a. not in his pocket, that he wants to have him fired. But mm-hmm. this is connected, guys, to the broader schemes. Because, again, one of the things that's happening now more than before, and you're seeing it both from Letitia James and Jack Smith, is that, Donald, is that all of these wow. cases are being looked at together. Information in one of the cases is being used against him. And so brand new developments from the j6 committee and on trump's taxes are playing a direct role in what we just saw in a massive defeat and trump freakout today watch this it'll give essential context
16: cause to believe these crimes have been committed they won't really have to deal with the sort of legal issues doj would have to deal with to decide right. whether to indict they'll simply view their evidence in a common sense sort of approach And given that sort of a likely scenario, it's very, uh, I think possible that they could recommend on all three of these. Insurrection is of course the most difficult one. It it requires decided proof uh, of an intention to interfere with the government in a more formal, more dangerous way than the conspiracy charges or the obstruction charges do. But it's entirely possible we could see the committee go on all three of these charges. Um to this point, Joyce, I want to talk about something that Politico
17: has been um, reporting and I just wanna note this are um sources that NBC has not verified um, themselves. Um, Two judges saying to justify incitement of insurrection, the report references U.S. District Court Judge Amit Mehta's February ruling saying Trump's language plausibly incited um, violence, and we should note it's not clear whether this uh, view reflects the majority view of the committee. And then another judge, um, Carter, saying it's, quote, more likely than not that Trump and John Eastman committed um, federal crimes. I'm wondering, if you're in the DOJ, how much do you take these types of statements, Joyce, along with the recommendation coming from January sixth committee into consideration as to whether or not to move forward with criminal charges.
16: So these are assessments of the evidence being made by external forces. DOJ is very independent in this regard. They will make their own assessments and that's appropriate because they are the people best suited to know what the admissible evidence at a trial would look like. Yasmin, let's be really clear about what both of the judges said. Judge Mehta used the word plausibly. Judge Carter was ruling under a civil standard. I know this is awfully law school 101 sort of stuff, but these (laughs) burdens of proof, what prosecutors have to prove, that's the critical point here. In civil cases, the burden is much lower, plausible, more likely than not. In a criminal case, you have to convince a unanimous jury that a defendant is guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. That doesn't mean beyond speculation anyone who's ever sat on a a criminal jury knows the judge will tell them, you know, it's not any conceivable doubt. It's a reasonable doubt. That's still a very high burden DOJ has to meet. So, so here's the kind of thirty thousand
17: foot above conversation that we need to have, and we'll be continuing to have over the next um, coming weeks. And we have had, which is, we are on the precipice of an unprecedented moment: a former president of the United States possibly being charged for, and/or recommended charges of inciting an insurrection. Right? What position does that put the Department of Justice in, um, Joyce? You are Merrick Garland. You taking a look at this thing and you're saying you are damned
16: if you do, by the way, and damned if you don't. You know, inside of DOJ, we often say you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't, so you might as well just go ahead and and do the right thing. Janet Reno, when she was the attorney general, was very popular of employing that standard when difficult decisions uh, were being made, as, as she often had to, and it's absolutely the correct approach here if you're DOJ. I have thought a lot about this notion that it's unprecedented to prosecute a former president. We adhere to that because we don't want to be a banana republic. We don't want to become a country where the criminal justice system is weaponized for political purposes. But it's also unprecedented because former presidents don't typically commit serious crimes while they're in office. No other president has tried to interfere with the transfer of power. It's the fact that it's so unprecedented that underlines why it's so important to hold Trump accountable for his conduct.
19: appreciate the humility in that answer, because the truth is we don't know where their investigation is. And given mm -hmm. that this is happening on parallel tracks, there could be a referral, but it could happen it's sort of not in tandem, timing-wise, with what the right
20: has. and there could be referrals because we don't know. We do know that this committee has investigated, has taken testimony from people in Trump's inner circle, his adult children, staff members. So we don't know how far the referrals will go. Now, now, like like Joyce said, they cannot compel the DOJ to to take up a case and bring criminal charges against Trump. But what they can do, what the committee can certainly do, and Monday. Think of it like the political miniseries that we've been watching that the public has been watching they're going to wrap it up like say the denouement they're going to make the case that they have done all of this if this massive effort has taken place without any assistance without testimony without depositions from trump and his inner circle and and frankly this is something the with regard to the potential referrals this is something that the public wants to see. This is something that the American public deserves. And we know this because poll just August uh, from Harvard CAP said that 53% of Americans believe that Donald Trump should face criminal prosecutions if warranted. Uh, 50, I believe it's 55% of the public believe that the hearings were conducted fairly. So building on this, this is the, the last chance for the committee to hopefully influence what the DJ, DOJ does. And if for nothing else, they're creating the historical record. They, they, there's a lot of symbolism here, and they can say for history, look, we have done our job. If there is not accountability to the DOJ, they can say, it's on you.
19: Because there's accountability for individuals, and right. they also making sure that this never happens again. John, to Raul's point about sort of this public appetite for accountability, what's the political risk to making these referrals, and what is the risk of not making them?
21: <laughs> That's a great question, Alicia. Um, I think. After the Congress impeached or the House impeached Donald Trump uh, over the insurrection and basically made the argument that he uh, was in fact guilty of uh, causing an insurrection, I think it's uh, unfathomable that they would have uh, come out of this process without making some recommendations uh, for a criminal referral if they had decided that, then it would have undercut uh, the entire argument for their impeachment uh, at the beginning of this Congress. So uh, it's not surprising that there will be uh, some criminal referrals or that they're voting them out on Monday. I think the question's going to be which ones, how far do they go, do they uh, recommend that the Justice Department uh, charge the former president with insurrection, uh, which is a, a huge word and, and it carries tremendous weight. Um, and so, you know, I think if they run they the risk potentially of overstepping what the public thinks is appropriate for any former president or this former president in particular.
19: So all this week starts with uh this from the one six committee and then later in the week you have the house ways and means committee voting on whether or not to release a portion of hello i need a pack of condoms delivered to room 1302 sheraton
7: alex who works as a delivery boy at a convenience store picks up the order here's your alex is shocked the woman in front of him is none other than his girlfriend kathy kathy what are you doing here are you cheating on me? What
20: a well, don't concept. be surprised. You're just a delivery boy, Alex. You really thought that I was serious?
19: No, Trump's taxes yeah. to the public. Merry Christmas. Merry, Merry Christmas to you. <laughs> uh, you know, we know that generally his tactic is to delay, delay, mm-hmm. delay. I mean, does he have any legal recourse here?
20: Look, his, his tactic of delay, delay, delay has been super successful, honestly, from a strategic point of view. Up to now, it seems like he may have finally run out the clock because unlike certain records, for example, someone's uh, immigration records, they are not necessarily sealed. And for example, in the case of someone's tax returns, when you're talking about a public official at the highest level of government, you would weigh the right of privacy versus the public interest. And we, what we do know, the Supreme Court has already weighed in and said, all right, the committee, they do have the right to get the taxes. Honestly, I, as I mentioned, I'm surprised they have not been that they have not been leaked because this has gone on for so long. We know the uh, journalists have been pursuing this for four years, the New York Times has had some access to the tax returns, so it seems that next week, everything will finally uh, come into public purview. What?
18: So you can see that these referrals are massive deals, not only in the legal sense, but it's a big effing deal that we see this happen. And as people noted, on the one hand, you don't want to politicize your justice system. You don't want to have a system where ex-politicians have to fear as a matter of routine that they're going to be jailed by their successor or by their political opponents or their rivals or the loser of an election gets jailed by the winner. Like these sorts of things shouldn't happen in a democratic society. But that operates under the assumption of good faith and it operates under the assumption that you're, 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 you're not politically arresting people, but Donald Trump committed literal crimes, the sort of crimes that other people would get decades maybe life in prison for in some cases he's simply being you know people are asking to hold him to account and so the legal system and the people a majority of the people not everyone in the country of course but a majority of the people want to see these criminal referrals happen and want those referrals acted upon. And it comes also at a moment where people are clamoring to know more about this man's finances. But where this really all kicks in is that Donald Trump is currently getting beaten down quietly in that Letitia James case. He's basically losing the case in slow motion. It hasn't even formally started yet, but every single time it comes out, there's some sort of sub-ruling, there's some sort of statement, there's some sort of motion or order that he loses, or if he files it gets rejected by the judge. And that's exactly what's happening right now because Donald Trump is trying to move the case to Florida, at least in part, to get rid of and fire the current judge and Letitia James isn't having it and her argument has clobbered Trump. It says here, New York Attorney General Letitia James asked a federal judge in Florida to reject former President Donald Trump's second attempt to end run her fraud lawsuit against him in Manhattan. This action is Mr. Trump's second improper attempt to collaterally attack and end run around rulings that have been issued by the presiding judge in the New York proceedings, Justice Arthur Engeron. The AG's assistant wrote in a 23-page motion to dismiss. Engeron, who once found Trump in contempt of court for defiance over a subpoena presided over the years-long fraud investigation and presides over the lawsuit it produced. James accuses Trump and his adult kids and his businesses of having engaged in pervasive fraud over the course of roughly a decade. And it goes on to say that Donald Trump has tried to do this, that a year ago he tried to uh, have the lawsuit rejected in federal court, but it was obviously not working. He tried to claim it was politically motivated. None of that worked. The point, guys, is that this is, this is like the flailings of a loser. All of this is. How he's trying to resist the federal investigations, the J6 stuff. How he's trying to resist this. Letitia James is winning simply by doing the work. Plugging in, day in, day out, getting it done. Because what she's doing here is showing the, the, the insanity of Trump. He can only demand that a judge be fired. Like He can only scream into the legal void that a judge should be fired and replaced. Because he knows in a fair case, in a non Eileen Cannon case, he's got no case.
17: Hi, I'm Nicole Hockley from Sandy Hook Promise. I know this is hard to hear, but it's important. The shooter who murdered my son carried an AR-15 into an elementary school and killed 26 people in approximately four minutes. In those four minutes, he was able to shoot 154 rounds. Five of those bullets hit my six-year-old son, Dylan, and in an instant, my boy was gone. Right now, Congress is considering legislation to make purchasing assault weapons illegal.
0: Good. This isn't... In- I should. Anyway, that was cool. That was Trump shocked by Letitia James. Major announcement and fraud case. 50 minutes ago, posted. Um... Mm. 2023 Trump indictment, legal AF.
1: Donald Trump files his most frivolous lawsuit yet. This one against the Pulitzer Prize board for awarding the New York Times and Washington Post a Pulitzer Prize in 2018. Popak, what can the legal system do to just stop these frivolous lawsuits from even being filed in the first ben, place. Don't answer go, now. We go. talk about it later in the podcast.
0: I already covered this one. Okay. So scientists are finding artifacts around the world that should never have been found. 1 month ago. Future over, Unity. Over
2: the
3: world.
22: From Pompeii, an ancient Roman city that once stood southeast of Naples in what is now Campania, Italy, to Machu Picchu, a lost city in western South America, all the way to ancient sites in Egypt, which connects northeastern Africa and the Middle East, and dates back to the era of the pharaohs. Explorers and archaeologists have been traveling across different countries bearing evidence of their enigmatic journeys that are either mind-boggling or just downright impressive. These archaeological finds reveal secrets and challenge our ideas about human history. What significant discoveries have been made over the past years, and which ones have had the greatest influence on how scientists perceive humanity? Join us as we examine some of the most fascinating archaeological discoveries made by scientists. The Pompeii Slave Laborers Archaeologists in the ancient Roman city of Pompeii have discovered an almost completely intact apartment that served as a kind of dormitory for slaves. Three wooden beds, a chamber pot, a wooden chest, and a number of tall Roman jars called amphorae are all present in the room. When Mount Vesuvius erupted in AD 79, all of it was covered and preserved in cyanurite, a sedimentary rock primarily composed of volcanic ash. The room was discovered in a villa in Javita, Giuliana, a neighborhood to the north of the city, where archeologists have made a number of extraordinary discoveries in recent years, including a complete ceremonial chariot and the bones oh. of two victims said to have been a master and his slave. However, this discovery offers a unique window into the lives of slaves on a daily basis. One of history's most well-known natural disasters was the huge eruption of Vesuvius over 2,000 years ago, which killed thousands of people And buried pompeii under 20 feet of ash effectively stopping the entire city and its inhabitants in one terrible freeze
3: frame the
22: city today houses priceless knowledge about living in the distant past and is a unesco world heritage site this discovery provides crucial background how the wealthy in the city relied on the efforts of others to flourish this is a window into the perilous reality of people who rarely appear in the historical records, but were almost exclusively produced by aristocratic males and who consequently run the risk of being unknown in the big historical accounts. Three laborers who would have performed daily tasks at the estate, including preparing and maintaining an amazing chariot found there, are believed to have resided in the room. Three beds, one thought to have possibly belonged to a child and smaller than the other two, lined the walls. These beds are made from wooden planks that are then webbed with ropes, A wooden trunk that appears to contain components of the chariot's horse harnesses is nearby. It is filled with metal and fabric. Tall porcelain jugs are jammed into the room's corners, indicating that the space was apparently utilized for storage in addition to
6: habitation. Light. If the literature being read to the child isn't entertaining to the parent, throw it away.
22: Children's literature can be meaningful and compelling to us. One of the reasons why came from one little higher window. The most remarkable aspect of this room is how small and unstable it is. Even in the absence of significant treasures, this area serves as a singular testament to the human experience. In this case, that of the weakest members of ancient society. Largest child sacrifice site in the world. Archaeologists found the skeleton remains of 227 youngsters who were allegedly killed and buried in a large ritual sacrifice hundreds of years ago in the coastal desert north of Lima, Peru.
0: According to researchers who excavated the
22: the site, the bodies found so far may only be the tip of the proverbial iceberg. This discovery represents the single largest child burial site on Earth. The pre-Columbian Chim culture, which emerged around the year 900 and lived along Peru's northern coast until they were subjugated by the Inca Empire around the year 1475, once favored the port city of Huanchaco, where the children's bodies were discovered facing the sea. The children's bodies were most likely buried between 600 and 800 years ago. The location is reminiscent of adjacent cemeteries where it appears that huge groups of kids were herded to the coast, stabbed in the chest one by one, then buried in mass graves. According to the archeologists, the children in Huanchaco were between the ages of four and 14 when they passed away and several of the bodies still had skin and hair on them. Archaeologists said it is likely that the children were killed as offerings to the gods who controlled the El Niño phenomenon, a semi-annual climate cycle that can cause catastrophic storms and hurricanes in South America. This is because of the site's location, the evidence that the bodies were buried during wet weather. Archaeologists had previously uncovered a site in Peru that is now known as Las Llamas, where approximately 140 children and 200 llamas had been massacred just the previous year. Why was the sacrifice made? This is still a puzzle. Between five and 14 years old, when they were sacrificed, the buried children's chests had been cut open. According to John Verano, an anthropology professor at Tulane University in New Orleans, who co-directs the excavations at Las Yamas, at least some of the children had their hearts removed. Most of the kids were also discovered wearing red makeup on their faces. The scientists believe that the children passed away as a result of having their chests sliced open. It's also possible that they were slain first, using a different technique that didn't leave any evidence on their corpses. A group that archaeologists now refer to as the Chim controlled over a sizable portion of Peru at the time of the sacrifice. At a place called Chan Chan, these people constructed a sizable city and sophisticated works of art. Slavery was not a practice among the Chim, as far as archaeologists are aware. This widespread child sacrifice appears to have taken place earlier than the Inca's conquest of the Chim, which happened around AD 1470. If the sacrifice wasn't connected to that takeover, it's possible that the Chim performed it because of the El nino related environmental issues and in the expectation that it would somehow improve things. There are no indications that the kids tried to avoid being sacrificed, and they seem to have been healthy and well-fed when they died. But several of the llamas made an effort to run away, The llamas had ropes around their necks to guide and manage them, and their tracks occasionally suggest this. The llamas were interred facing east toward the Andes Mountains, while the youngsters were laid to rest facing the sea. Nobody knows why this was done. One explanation is that since llamas originated in the highlands and the chim had gods and artwork that emphasized marine elements, such as fish and seabirds, they turned the children toward the ocean. Helmets constructed from the skulls of children. A burial practice that could even make Indiana Jones shudder has been documented by archaeologists excavating a site near Salango, Ecuador. Excavations at the two 2,100-year-old funeral mounds turned up numerous unique pairs of remains, including the skeletons of two infants wearing what appeared to be bone helmets constructed from the skulls of older kids. While performing excavations, archaeologists discovered the bones as well as those of nine additional people many of whom were interred with minor artefacts like figurines and shells. According to the archaeologists, one of the infants was roughly 18 months old, while the other was between 6 and 9 months old at the time of their death. A second juvenile's modified cranium was fitted over the first skull in a helmet-like manner such that the primary person's face could be seen through and out of the second's cranial vault. Intriguingly, the researchers discovered a little shell and a finger bone wedged between the two-layered skulls of the older infant's helmet, which originally belonged to a youngster between the ages of 4 and 12. The second baby's helmet was made from a child's head who was between the ages of 2 and 12. The older children's skulls probably still had flesh on them when they were put over the infant's heads, which is maybe the eeriest part, because juvenile skulls frequently do not hold together if they are just bare bone, according to what the archaeologists noted. In pre-Columbian South America, heads were frequently portrayed in iconography, ceramics, stone, and literally as heads. They typically stand for strength, ancestry, and the ability to rule over other groups, as seen in the making of trophy heads from defeated foes. The pre-social and wild spirits, the deceased, might have been protected by the helmets as they traveled through the afterlife. An alternative explanation holds that the infants' progenitors originally wore the skull helmets both in life and in death. Another less plausible theory is that the kids were the targets of a ritual intended to calm the volcano. However, the data implies the juveniles probably were quite unwell anyway, according to some scientists, even if the remains show no signs of trauma. The discovery still has scientists in a state of shock. It's unprecedented.
6: Over the past six months, we have been investigating as well as exposing the truth behind all of these food processing plants that have been catching on fire and burning to the ground the Dutch farmers in the Netherlands protesting against their government, how the people in Sri Lanka nearly starved to death because of a ban on synthetic fertilizers, the push towards having people eat food made out of bugs, and, of course, how the price of food on our supermarket store shelves have been going up by double digits. And you know what? With all these problems, and with even our own politicians here in America using words like food shortages to describe what's potentially on the horizon, well, Notice it might not be a stretch a to assume accent. that trouble is looming in the near future. And so the time Epic to prepare times. is now. Chinese Click on that button below Russian. this video and claim your free 70-page Food prices,
22: Special Edition this magazine that's
8: filled com- with content that you absolutely
22: need there are still a lot of unanswered questions frozen bodies of children sacrificed by Inca three Inca mummies that were discovered in Argentina close to the high top of Volcan Yuyayeko were so beautifully preserved that they gave a human face to the lengthy ceremony of Capacocha that culminated in their sacrifice now the 13 year old Yuyayeko maiden and her younger companions Yuyayeko boy and the lightning girl have been discovered It's clear that drugs that cause mental confusion were used both in their actual deaths, as well as in the year-long series of rituals that prepared them for their final moments. Coca and alcohol both have the ability to cause altered states, thought to be sacred in Inca religious doctrine. The drugs, however, probably also served a more practical purpose, confusing and sedating the young victims on the high hillside to help them accept their dismal destinies. Due to the extremely cold temperatures immediately below the mountains 22,110 foot, 6,739 meter summit, the maiden and her youthful counterparts discovered in 1999 were in a remarkable state of natural preservation. The pristine condition of the objects and textiles arranged in the tomb-like structure, together with the extraordinary level of preservation, allowed specialists to reconstruct the events that occurred in this tenuous atmosphere some 500 years ago this is even more terrifying because of that this isn't a dried up corpse or a collection of bones this is a human being this is a child and the information that these researchers have gathered via these investigations certainly does point to some moving conclusions concerning these children's final months and years the maiden's long braided hair contains a timeline of markers that record her diet Including the consumption of drugs like coca and alcohol in the form of chicha, a fermented broom made from maize. Hair grows about a centimeter a month and stays unchanged after that. According to the markings, she seemed to have been chosen for sacrifice a year before she actually perished. Her life drastically changed during this time, as did her escalating usage of alcohol and coca, which were then illegal drugs not intended for daily use. The medications might have rendered the maiden more submissive, stupefied, or perhaps unconscious on the day of her Her unperturbed surroundings, including the objects around her and the feathered headdress she wore as she passed away, and her calm, seated position inside the tomb like building, appear to confirm this notion. At the time of the mummy's discovery in 1999, chewed coca leaves were discovered in her mouth. Due to disparities in age and stature, or perhaps because of their lower standing in the ritual itself, The younger children exhibit lower levels of coca and alcohol consumption. And while other Capacocha locations exhibit signs of violence such as brain injuries, these children were allowed to go without incident. Either they succeeded in mastering the procedures for carrying out this kind of sacrifice, or the children behaved much more subtly. The mummies are currently housed in a museum in Argentina. The children's ability to still be recognized as human in their final moments is terrifying. It almost seems as though the kids can reach out and tell us their own stories. Hair in particular is such a personal thing. It's amazing how after five centuries, it's still able to tell us a lot about a person's life. Tutankhamun's Tomb One of the most well-known curses in the world is the Curse of the Pharaoh, also known as King Tut's Curse. Since King Tutankhamun's tomb was found, there have been persistent tales that anyone who violates the location of the boy king's ultimate resting place, will be subject to a terrible curse. Even if it's not nearly as dramatic as a murderous mummy, it's generally accepted that many of the individuals involved in the opening of the tomb were soon cursed and died in mysterious circumstances. The legend gained prominence because a few of the people engaged in uncovering the tomb did in fact pass away quickly after it was found. The fifth Earl of Carnarvon, a British aristocrat and enthusiastic Egyptologist who helped fund the investigation George Edward Stanhope Molyneux Herbert likely had the highest profile death connected to the curse. It's widely believed that his death on March 25th, 1923, a year after the tomb was opened, was mysterious. However, he had health issues before traveling to Cairo, and in any case, he died of a mosquito-borne disease. When the tomb was opened, there were 26 people present, and only six of them died within 10 years. Nearly 20 years after he opened the tomb, Howard Carter, the man, unquestionably would have been the main target of any curse, lived until 1939. So where did the curse come from? According to researcher James Randi, the 1922 discovery and unveiling of Tut's tomb was a momentous archaeological event. To keep the press at bay and give them something dramatic to cover, the head of the excavation team, Howard Carter, concocted a myth that anyone who defied the Boy King's edict would be cursed. Carter did not invent the idea of a cursed tomb, but he did make use of it to keep intruders away from his important discovery. What matters is that those who would damage their tombs believe in curses, regardless of whether Howard Carter or King Tut genuinely believed in them. And it was successful because a century after Tut's tomb was found, many people still maintain this opinion. The Easter Island Mysteries. Easter Island is a Polynesian island in the Pacific Ocean that belongs to Chile. Archaeologists have discovered 887 enormous statues there. The statues, which are referred to as Maui and date from between 1250 and 1500, Maui. are amazing monuments to the Rapa Nui people. These statues, some of which are about Ow. 30 feet tall and weigh as much as 80 tons, continue to be a mystery. The more archeologists and scholars teach us about the secluded island, the more fascinating it gets. Right.
5: Hmm, Milano? Mm, These are Fancy Santa. Uh,
22: Fancy Santa?
8: Fancy Santa.
22: It gets. The sight of enormous stone statues that were both serenely godlike and viciously human was almost unfathomable to early explorers. The population of the island was too little, too primitive, and too remote to merit praise for such works of craftsmanship, engineering, and effort. Both history and art contributed to the uniqueness of this island, but there have been a lot of interpretations and counter-arguments to attempts to uncover that past. A little of the island's history has been disclosed through the missionaries' anecdotes, the archaeologists' shovel, the anthropologists' oral histories, and cartons of bones. But not everything by any means. When did the initial arrivals occur? From where did they originate? Why did they create statues that large? How were they raised onto platforms and moved? Such questions have received numerous responses, but the responses are always shifting. Archaeologists have gathered proof over the past two decades that the original settlers originated from another Polynesian island, but they can't agree on which one. The 1st to the 6th century AD are some of the dates put forth as estimates when people first arrived on the island. Another enigma is how they discovered the location, whether on purpose or by mistake. Some contend that without the use of modern high-tech devices, the navigators of the first millennium would never have been able to plot a course over such vast distances. They some so... claim that the early Polynesians were uh, some of the most expert navigators like in the history birds. of the oceans, masters of the night sky and the ocean's currents. The feat it must have required mm-hmm. to move the Maui Easter across island. the island is what makes them so intriguing. According to legend, the Rapa Nui people used heavenly power to make the sculptures move. Whether a myth or not, it is still a fascinating idea. A funeral temple that dates back four millennia. Memphis, an ancient Egyptian metropolis, Memphis. is home to the extensive burial grounds. More than a dozen pyramids, including the oldest in Egypt, the Pyramid of Josa can be seen at the UNESCO World Heritage Site. But one of the most intriguing finds was the identification of Queen Neith, the wife of King Teti, who lived 4,200 years ago. Her tomb was discovered near the Pyramid of King Teti, who ruled Egypt from 2680 to 2180 BC, during the age of the pyramids. Inside 52 burial tunnels, Also uncovered were more than 50 wooden coffins from the New Kingdom, which date to roughly 3,000 years ago. Each of these tunnels was between 30 and 40 feet deep. A 13-foot long by 3-foot wide papyrus with chapter 17 of the Book of the Dead and the owner's name written in hieroglyphic form were also discovered. The field of Aru, or Paradise, can be reached through navigating the afterlife, according to an ancient Egyptian book known as the Book of the Dead. This large papyrus had never before been found within a burial pit. At the location, there were also numerous wooden burial masks, a monument to the god Anubis, guardian of the cemetery, sculptures of Anubis, and games buried with the dead to keep them occupied in the hereafter. One of them was a game named 20 that still had the name of its previous owner. One of the games found in the shafts was called Senate Cross. Essentially, it's chess, but the winner receives a guarantee of eternal life. And the loser, well... collection of right hands 16 human skeletons were found by archaeologists buried in four ditches two pits one of which was in front of what is thought to be a throne room each had one hand in them the 14 remaining hands are housed in two more holes that were later built outside the palace and even more unexpectedly they're all right-handed there was no sign of left hands the artifacts were discovered in the nile delta northeast of cairo around 3,600 years ago at the time that the Hyksos, a people group thought to have originated the, in northern Canaan, ruled over a region of Egypt and established Tell el-Dab'a as their thieves. capital, when the hands were buried, King Kayan, one of the Hyksos kings, was dwelling in the palace. These hands may be the first concrete evidence of an ancient Egyptian practice that is depicted in text and art, wherein a soldier would exchange a severed enemy's right hand for money. It would have made it easier to count the casualties and would have served as a powerful symbol of defeat to cut off an enemy's right hand. You deprive him of all authority for all time. They might have been Levantine rivals of the Hyksos, or they might have been Egyptians. Both the Hyksos and the Egyptians had a regular military exercise that involved cutting off an opponent's right hand. The tomb wall of Armos, son of Ebana, an Egyptian who fought the Hyksos, has one tale. The inscription, which was written about 80 years after the 16 hands were buried, reads as follows. Then I fought hand to hand. I brought away a hand. It was reported to the Royal Herald. The writer received the gold of bravery as a reward for his efforts. Translation by James Henry Breasted, Ancient Records of Egypt, Volume 2, 1905. Amos captured three hands and was given gold in double measure during a later expedition against the Nubians to the south. Because there are no signs of this horrible practice in northern Canaan, the supposed homeland of the Hyksos, researchers are still dubious of its origins. They might have adopted an Egyptian rite from Egyptians, or it might have come from somewhere else different. It's important to keep in mind that the aggressive treatment of captives dates back to ancient Egypt. is the earliest example of this behavior. A 5,000-year-old relic called the Nama Pallet depicts slaughtered prisoners and a king who is about to crush the head of a man who is on his knees, during the unification of ancient Egypt. Mm. The charred remains of a city. Everyone agrees that something strange occurred at Tor el-Haman, a historic community close to the Dead Sea. Archaeologists assert that they have discovered proof of an apocalyptic event in an old stratum of the earth, melting roofs into earthenware that has broken down, unusual rock formation patterns that may be related to extreme heat.
15: Don't risk losing your photos and videos. This innovative stick makes it easy to back up your smartphone. It's compatible with all devices like Android and iOS. And you can free up storage in seconds, without paying for cloud storage ever again. This ex-smartphone engineer just created the ultimate backup solution with a device that also frees up your smartphone or computer storage space. Justin noticed a trend that 3 out of 5 Americans lose their precious family memories stored on their devices because of technical issues. People asked him all the time to fix their broken phone, and it broke his heart when he had to tell them all their memories were gone forever. <clears throat> Justin also
22: recognized that many don't understand tech very well. Not everyone has the time to search and copy. Heat. The 100 acres of the village were left fallow for another three to six centuries after 1650 BC. However, Stephen Collins, the head archaeologist at Tal El-Hammam, asserted that the incineration matched the location and chronology of the biblical story of Sodom and Gomorrah, This caused him to experience what would be referred to as hellfire in academic circles. One of the most well-known stories from the Bible is the one about Sodom and its sister city, Gomorrah. Abraham pleads with God to spare Sodom, which was still associated with sin, in order to preserve its sparsely populated virtuous people. None of it was acceptable to the Lord. The book of Genesis records that, Then the Lord rained down burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah. On the surface, Tall el hammam appears to have some links, and this is obvious to anyone, but does it mean it's true? 21 experts from 19 research institutions examined the ruins of Tall el hammam under the direction of Collins, Dean of the College of Archaeology at Trinity Southwest University, and came to the conclusion that the nature of the catastrophe pointed to a large airburst, or comet. The envisioned airburst would have been larger than the 1908 explosion over Tunguska, Russia, where a bolide, a meter explosion in mid-air with a 50-meter diameter exploded with 1,000 times the intensity of the Hiroshima atomic bomb. The destruction matrix, which dates to around 1650 BC, is said to be very uncommon and atypical of archaeological strata throughout the ancient Near East, according to these researchers, more than half of whom held scientific positions. Pottery shards with their outer surfaces melted into glass, some of which bubbled and melted building brick and plaster unlike any destruction brought about by earthquakes or war this suggests some unidentified high temperature events daily use items carbonized bits of wood beams charred grain bones and limestone cobbles were all burned until they resembled chalk but recently in a piece published in the journal nature stephen jarrett a postdoctoral fellow at the american museum of natural history and r scott harris a space scientist at atlantis fernbank science center disputed the findings of the 21 academics. They basically suggested that Collins' team had mistaken the heat from an airburst for the heat from routine pottery and smelting processes. However, in addition to the reasons for the devastation, Torl al-Hammam's connection to biblical events has another test, which is arguably trickier to establish, its date. Many others, including Brian Wood, editor of Bible and Spade and the Bible chronology watchdog Answers in Genesis, are rather forthright in delaying the destruction of Sodom by about two centuries. However, there has been harsh criticism from the greater scientific community, including claims that some of the authors of the original studies had previously identified bolides too quickly. Scientists are still conducting additional inquiries, so we might soon learn the truth. The earliest known example of mating between different human populations. Globally, anthropologists and archaeologists have kept learning astonishing new things about our predecessors. This, in particular, provided fresh and puzzling insights into our forebearers' backgrounds. Scientists already knew that there was a lot of sexual activity between various human species throughout our evolutionary past. However, a DNA study uncovered the first known instance of interpopulation mating. Anthropologists previously knew that between 40,000 and 60,000 years ago, modern humans interbred with Neanderthals and Denisovans, two distant relatives of Homo sapiens. However, a recent discovery revealed that those Neanderthal and Denisovan relatives had interbred with an unknown group of prehistoric humans in Eurasia 700,000 years ago. This confirms what has been observed in investigations over the past 10 years. There is a lot more interbreeding between many human populations than we were previously aware of. Additionally, this revelation Significantly push back the time depth of those interbreedings. Humans' limited pain tolerance may be due to our interbreeding with the Neanderthals. Researchers discovered that specific Neanderthal genes produced proteins that activate the spinal cord and brain's pain centers. According to a study, a sample of UK residents who received the Neanderthal genes felt more pain than study participants who did not. Also, unlike us, Neanderthals' hands were better adapted. squeezing a spear than to delicately gripping something between the thumb and fingers scientists concluded that neanderthals would have had difficulty using precision grips like those we use when writing however these forebearers have stronger squeeze grips the kind needed to wield and strike a hammer a prehistoric human type this science had never before known the prevailing theory that neanderthals originated in europe is called into question by the discovery of a new homo group in an israeli excavation that resembles pre-Neanderthal populations in that continent. This finding raises the possibility that at least some of the Neanderthal's ancestors actually came from the Levant. The new discovery shows that Nesher-Ramla people who lived in the region since about 400,000 years ago and Homo sapiens who arrived later around 200,000 years ago have coexisted side by side for more than 100,000 years in the Levant, sharing knowledge and tool skills. The latest discovery also sheds light on a conundrum in human evolution how did Neanderthals, who probably inhabited Europe long before Homo sapiens arrived, acquire Homo sapiens genes? According to the researchers, at least some of the later Homo fossils discovered in Israel in the past, such as those found in the school and carse caves, do not originate from archaic early Homo sapiens, but rather from mixed groups of Homo sapiens and Neanderthal Ramla ancestry. A new type of early human dating to between one hundred and forty thousand and one hundred and twenty thousand and 120,000 years ago has been discovered in the Nesha ramla site by researchers from Tel Aviv University
6: and the Hebrew- Lightsabers are finally a reality, and you can own one. This new military flashlight is basically a lightsaber that fits in your pocket. But be warned, this $600 flashlight is not a toy. It's soap in the Hebrew University
22: of Jerusalem. The Nesher-Ramla individual's morphology, say the researchers, shares characteristics with both archaic homo, specifically the skull, and neanderthals particularly the teeth and jaws at the same time this type of homo also differs significantly from current humans in that it had a very distinct skull structure no chin and very huge teeth according to the study's results scientists think that the majority of middle Pleistocene humans descended from the Nesheramla homo type as their source population additionally they contend that this population is the missing population that interbred with Homo sapiens, who first appeared in the area about 200,000 years ago. Exhumation and reburial of England's King Richard III. Richard III, the final Plantagenet King of England, is infamous for being a prince slayer, crookback, and all around nasty power grabber. Despite his notoriety, his final resting place was unknown until the Looking for Richard initiative in 2012. The Battle of Bosworth Field, the final significant conflict of the Wars of the Roses, took place on August 22nd, 1485 and saw the death of Richard III, the last member of the Plantagenet dynasty. His remains were carried to grey fires in Leicester, where a simple burial in the friary church served as his final resting place. Richard's tomb was lost when the friary was dissolved in 1538 and afterward demolished. A false report claimed that Richard's remains had been dumped into the neighboring river Soar of Bow Bridge. The Looking for Richard project, with the help of the Richard III Society, started the hunt for Richard's body in August 2012. The University of Leicester Archaeological Services, in collaboration with Leicester City Council, oversaw the archaeological excavation. An adult human skeleton from a guy in his 30s who had obvious symptoms of serious injuries was discovered on the first day. The skeleton was exhumed to allow for scientific analysis. It had several odd physical characteristics, most notably scoliosis, a severe curvature of the back. Examination revealed that the guy had most likely been murdered, either by a sword thrust that went straight through the brain, or by a hit from a broad-bladed weapon, most likely a halberd, which severed the rear of his skull and exposed the brain. Other cuts on the skeleton were likely humiliation injuries, posthumous retaliation inflicted after death. The bones were dated to around the time of the king's death, were mainly consistent with physical descriptions of him. Their age at death matched that of Richard when he was killed. A preliminary DNA investigation revealed that the mitochondrial DNA taken from the bones matched that of two matrilineal descendants of Richard's sister and of York, one of whom was in her 17th generation and the other in her 19th. The University of Leicester said on February 4th, 2013, that it had established beyond reasonable doubt The skeleton was that of Richard III after considering these findings as well as additional historical, scientific, and archaeological data. Amazon Ancient Settlements These settlements are astoundingly sophisticated. For around 10,000 years, people have lived in the Amazon Basin, a massive river drainage system roughly the size of the continental United States. According to researchers, all Amazonians lived in small nomadic tribes that had little influence on their surroundings prior to the entrance of Europeans in the 16th century. Additionally, despite the fact that early European travellers described a terrain that was home to towns and villages, later explorers were unable to locate these locations. By the 20th century, archaeologists had not yet found evidence to support the rumours, but they maintained that the Amazon's nutrient-poor soil was unable to support extensive agriculture and would have prevented the emergence of tropical civilizations like those found in Central America and Southeast Asia. But attitudes about archaeology were starting to change by the 2000s. Some scholars hypothesized that pockets of abnormally nutrient-rich soil that may have been made by people and unusually high concentrations of domesticated plants could be evidence that the ancient Amazonians did in fact change their environment. The theory gained traction in 2018 when archaeologists claimed that deforestation in the southern Amazon rainforest had revealed hundreds of massive geometric mounds. Although there was a paucity of concrete evidence of settlements, these buildings suggested that ancient organized societies were capable of surviving in one place for a long time. The so-called forest islands have previously been found to have human remains, including those of the enigmatic Casarabe civilization, which first appeared around 500 AD. However, using traditional methods to survey the location was challenging due to the extensive foliage. What, though, is beneath? A method known as lidar a remote sensing tool that uses lasers to produce a 3d image of the earth below had gained popularity with archaeologists by the 2010s an old pre-columbian city that had been thought to be in the vicinity was rediscovered in 2012 thanks to a lidar study of a honduran valley since the settlement was abandoned in the 14th century the forest had entirely engulfed it making it nearly impossible to view from the air without lidar in 2019 Prumers and his colleagues made use of lidar by flying a helicopter outfitted with the technology over six places close to sites that had previously been occupied by the casa people lidar revealed the size and shape of 26 settlements including what the researchers weren't looking for a monumental task that would have taken 400 years to survey using traditional methods the team received more than a bargain for three times the size of vatican city Two of the urban centers each had an area of over 100 hectares. Walled compounds with wide terraces rising six meters above the ground were visible in the LIDAR pictures. Overlooking one end of the terraces were earthen conical pyramids. People most likely resided close to the terraces and traveled between the sites by way of-
14: You may have already heard something about the Enneagram. And one concern that often comes- up.
22: Way of the Causeways. It's still unknown why these settlements were abandoned after 900 years. According to radiocarbon dating, the Kasarabi vanished about the year 1400. The finding of long-lost Amazonian communities, at the very least, alters the prevailing perception that people have of Amazonian archaeology. These findings further refute the idea that indigenous peoples just lived in the Amazon basin passively before the arrival of Europeans. The inhabitants permanently altered the environment. Voynich manuscript. The Voynich manuscript is known as the world's most mysterious manuscript of all time. It's possible that the Voynich manuscript language was never intended to be read. Its significance has baffled professionals and machines alike since Wilfred Voynich made it famous in 1912. So how much closer are we to cracking the Voynich code? Or will it always be a mystery? The 15th century Voynich manuscript, which is barely bigger than a compact book, is a linguistic puzzle an ineligible code with a hazy past even the top scholars code breakers and scientists have failed to decipher the messages contained within this lavishly designed book the voynich manuscript which measures 22.5 by 16 centimeters has 200 pages of handwritten text and images its vellum folios feature naked bathing women astrological charts and exotic vegetation additionally there is writing in a confusing language or Around it. The cryptic text found inside the Voynich Manuscript is by far its most remarkable feature. Although it did occasionally use a Latin character, most of it was written in a language that is unheard of, perhaps lost to time. Furthermore, it has perplexed renowned academics, researchers, and codebreakers ever since. The Voynich Manuscript language has become known as Voynichese or the Voynich Code. Regardless of whether it is a language, a code, or something new, What does the Voynich Manuscript aim to achieve? There isn't a particularly compelling argument explaining the Voynich Manuscript's goal or why it would have been written in a secret language. The Voynich Code is not nearly as mysterious as the drawings. These vibrant pictures can be seen all over the pages and give the impression that it may have been a pharmacopoeia or other kind of medical manual. But even the fact that it incorporates plants and what appear to be medical components, most of it doesn't seem to be grounded in reality since its discovery articles with titles like Voynich Decoded have appeared in 2020, 2021, and pretty much every year since. In fact, a wide range of experts.
0: What do you know? We're going to finish watching or listening to this,
22: so come back. When American cryptographers from World War II were Sir, astonishing discoveries. Being used to perform this more recently. It has been claimed to be everything from a book of witchcraft... Scientists are finding artifacts
0: around the world that should never have been found. Future no unity.
22: Proven true, ...and all previous attempts have proved fruitless. The Voynich Manuscript's significance is... I was scared before I met you. I didn't trust anyone is still a mystery. It seems unfathomable that there could be an unbreakable code when we have access to such advanced technology like computers and machinery. Perhaps more than anything else, this has persuaded many people that the Voynich Manuscript is a fake. However, there is still a lot of interest in the Codex and the Voynich Manuscript language. Many people are still working on the issue. If it will ever be resolved, only time will tell. The London Hammer. Hammer, a tool older than history. Max Hahn and his wife, Emma, went out for a stroll in June 1936, or 1934 according to other versions, when they came across a rock that had wood sticking out of its center. They made the choice to bring the anomaly home, and subsequently used a hammer and chisel to open it. Ironically, what they discovered inside resembled an archaic hammer. Thereafter they turned it over to a group of archaeologists that examined it, and as it turned out, the rock housing the hammer was dated to the Ordovician, which is more than 400 million years old. There are some doubts about that dating, but here's the really amazing part. Early measurements revealed that the hammer itself was over 500 million years old. It appears to be so old that a portion of the handle has started to turn into coal. Of course, creationists jumped all over this, and in the 1980s, creationist Carl Bohr seized the opportunity to speculate about how the atmosphere of a pre-flood earth would have supported the growth of giants the hammer's head is purer than anything nature could have produced on its own without the aid of technology consisting of more than 96 percent iron. the initial dating however is seriously in doubt and just because the hammer was found encased in ancient rocks doesn't guarantee that it is also that old the only theory put out which has not yet been proven is that the highly soluble material in the old limestone may have congealed around the object giving the impression that it is as old as the materials themselves in fact radiocarbon analysis of the hammer itself has not yet been done which raises serious doubts about the hammer's age it's sad that the hammer is now on display in the so-called creation evidence museum because the curators forbid scientific testing on the london hammer huh. the antikythera mechanism a greek ancient computer The earliest mechanical computer has been dubbed the Antikythera Mechanism, it was created to compute astronomical positions and was discovered in a shipwreck 45 meters under the surface off the coast of the Greek island of Antikythera. It is roughly as complicated as an excellent clock from the 18th century, consisting of a box with dials on the outside and an extremely intricate assembly of gear wheels installed inside scientists have been forced to acknowledge that their preconceived notions about ancient greek engineering may be incorrect due to the device's level of sophistication nothing like this exists and none of the known texts from the time it was created make any reference to it the knowledge we do possess suggests that this mechanism shouldn't even exist professor michael edmund of cardiff university who oversaw the group that investigated the mechanism stated the following this device is just extraordinary the only thing of its kind The design is beautiful, the astronomy is exactly right. The way the mechanics are designed just make your jaw drop. Whoever has done this has done it extremely carefully, he added. In terms of historic and scarcity value, I have to regard this mechanism as being more valuable than the Mona Lisa. It seems reasonable to presume that the Antikythera has numerous precursors given its incredible complexity, but none have been discovered, making it even more impressive. Based on the device's fascinating complexity, we can assume that the Antikythera...
3: <phone rings>
22: ...even though none is yet to be found. The complexity and workmanship did not appear again in Europe until the development of astronomical mechanical clocks in the 14th century. So how did the ancient Greeks, who had virtually no access to technology, manage to create such a sophisticated calculator? Well, as of now, there's no logical answer to that. The 26,000 year old Amazon Warrior Girl. The mummified remains which were initially thought to be male and discovered about 34 years ago were recently identified as female. In 1988, a group of experts thought they had found a young boy or man when they found the mummified body of a young warrior in the Tuva Republic of modern day Russia. But about 34 years later, new technology allowed for the disproof of that assumption. The warrior who passed away was a young woman it's possible that she was one of the famous amazon warriors from ancient greek literature the remains were thought to have been buried in the early 6th century bc when they were first discovered by scientists marina kalunovskaya and vladimir semyonov a number of artifacts including tools used by exceptionally renowned warriors were found at the site during the excavation of the 2600 year old remains a wart on the young girl's face was still clearly apparent Mm -hmm. because of how well preserved her body was The location was strewn with amazing discoveries including a three-foot birch bow an axe and a group of ten arrows the arrows were made of a variety of metals some had wood tips while others had bone or bronze components the warriors remains were discovered dressed in a brown pair of pants and a shirt underneath a double-breasted fur coat however objects that are often associated with women such as beads and mirrors were not present therefore it was initially assumed that this was a man's grave the researchers were able to disprove this theory only through DNA testing. The Laboratory of Historical Genetics, Radiocarbon Investigation, and Applied Physics in Moscow, recently conducted an analysis that revealed that this warrior was not only a girl, but also a very young girl. The findings indicated that the deceased... Melt this soft mineral in your mouth if you can taste metallic blood in your decaying teeth or have dragon's breath, toothaches, bleeding. This girl was between the ages of 12 and 13 at the time of her passing. This revelation, which offers new light on the social history of Scythian society, astounded Kilo Novskaya. Naturally, it also draws her attention to the legend surrounding the Amazons. The Amazon warriors are said to have been first mentioned in ancient Greek literature in Homer's Iliad, which dates from the 8th century B.C. He referred to them as anti-Neri, which scholars have interpreted to mean either the equal of men or the antithesis of men. A few centuries later, Herodotus wrote about the Amazons and stated that these ladies were from Scythia in central Eurasia. In the end, their pessimistic mindset is being debunked every year as new archaeological finds turn up female warrior graves all over the globe. The Saqqara bird, an Egyptian plane. The Saqqara bird, which was found during the 1898 excavation of the Padi tomb in Saqqara, Egypt, is a bird-shaped artifact carved from sycamore tree wood. It has a wingspan of more than 7 inches, weighs just under 40 grams, and is thought to have existed between 200 BC and 2200 years ago. Its purpose has been the subject of some conjecture due to a lack of documentation and other information. It's true that the ancient Egyptians were highly versed in aviation principles, but it's unclear how this applied to the artifact in question. So what was the goal of it? Was it just a wealthy Egyptian child's toy? Did it have any ceremonial significance? The item does, however, lack many genuine avian characteristics. It resembles no known bird because of its vertical tail, which resembles that of an airplane or glider. Khalil Messiah, an Egyptian doctor, archaeologist, parapsychologist, and dowser has hypothesized the first aircraft was created by the ancient egyptians scientists have later concluded that it could not have been a functional aircraft due to a lack of technology but it may have actually been a glider ancient chemical warfare in 1933 archaeologist robert dumenio de buisson was conducting a dig in the area of duro europas where ancient persians laid siege to their longtime enemies the romans Domeniel discovered a number of tunnels while excavating, which is typical in a siege situation. The unplanned group of 19 Roman soldiers he discovered in one of those tunnels, all of whom appeared to have perished while escaping from something, was a touch unusual though. What then was at the other end of the tunnel that could so quickly frighten and kill 19 Roman soldiers? One single Persian soldier was discovered helplessly clinging to his armor, a frightening moment frozen in time. The presence of sulfur and bitumen streaks all along the walls further added to the oddity, making the implications obvious. 19 Romans perished while running away from him, a terrifying Persian who died desperately clawing at his own corpse and sulfurous emanations from the walls to what might they be pointing. Some people initially believed it to be demonic possession tricks. There are other slightly more believable explanations, though. Archaeologist Simon James re-examined the records of the initial dig found that the deaths were actually caused by one of the earliest efforts at chemical warfare according to james's reconstruction of the tale it proceeds like this the romans heard the persians working beneath the ground and steered their tunnel to intercept their enemies the roman tunnel was shallower than the persian one so the romans planned to break in on the persians from above but there was no element of surprise for either side the persians could also hear the romans coming so the persians set a trap just as the romans broke through james said they lit a fire in their own tunnel perhaps they had bellows to direct the smoke or perhaps they relied on the natural chimney effect of the shaft between the two tunnels either way they threw sulfur and bitumen on the flames one of the persian soldiers was overcome and died a victim of his own side's weapons the romans met with the choking gas which turned to sulfuric acid in their lungs not a death you'd wish on your worst enemies right remnants of a witch hunt It's not always necessary for an archaeological discovery to feature bones for it to be upsetting. Before the Reformation, Catholic women had a private space to worship in peace in a little chapel in a church on the outskirts of Aberdeen. But thirty years after Aberdeen's conversion from Catholicism to Protestantism, St. Mary's Chapel at the Kirk of St. Nicholas assumed a darker and ominous character. Researchers have found proof that the church, which was constructed in the 15th century, was used as a prison for accused witches as they awaited trial and execution. James IV of Scotland's witchcraft laws sparked the Great Scottish Witch Hunt of 1597, a massive statewide hunt for witches. In reality, it was the second of Scotland's five national witch hunts. Similar to the previous cases, it was overseen by royal commissions. However, because it was not centrally chronicled, it's one of the least well-documented Of the great scottish witch hunts local authorities were instead placed in charge of documenting the charges and verdicts in court in an eight month span of the 1597 witch hunt around 400 people were tried and about 200 supposed witches were put to death the fatalities were graphic all that is left of this horrific past is a seemingly harmless iron ring buried into the chapel's north wall however documents discovered in the aberdeen city archive show that this two inch wide ring was built to shackle the witches while they were detained in the prison. They disclosed that during the great Scottish witch hunt of 1597, 23 women and one man were convicted and executed in the city for witchcraft. The cannibalized remains of Herxheim. In Herxheim, Germany, a construction crew discovered something utterly horrible. A huge pit filled with more than 1,000 dead bodies was located beneath the area of the earth where they had planned to construct. Over 7,000 years have passed since the remains had been there, but no matter what happened to them, it was worse than dying. They weren't recently dead. Their heads had been thoroughly scraped.
17: Do you know what happens if you pour sugar into a carved-out onion? This is a remedy as old as time. There's a good chance your great-grandmother used this one herself. Onions have anti-inflammatory and expectorant properties, so they make for a very effective cough and sore throat remedy, but not on their own and that's where the sugar comes in. Take a glass container with a lid and place sliced onions inside until it's full. Then add sugar to cover everything up. This can be white or brown sugar. It doesn't really matter. After that, just put the lid on and let the syrup extract. You'll see a syrup start forming within an hour or two. Leave it for six to eight hours until it's fully liquid. Simply take a spoonful of this syrup as needed to soothe your cough and alleviate a sore throat. You probably already know cattails are edible, but few people know what...
22: Similar to a butcher preparing a pig, their ribs have been separated from their vertebrae. It appears that these individuals were murdered, skinned, scalped, and cannibalized. However, this was hardly a desperate action by famished individuals. There were over a thousand victims, and their skinning was too ritualized. This wasn't a passionate crime or a momentary loss of reason. A large portion of the town had gathered to participate in a planned rite. The Frankenstein Bog Mummies... A group of archaeologists discovered a man and a woman's buried bodies in Scotland about 15 years ago. They had passed away 3,000 years before, but they weren't buried immediately. Instead, they were dumped into a Scottish bog where they were kept and mummified for 300 to 600 years before being buried. But something wasn't right about these bodies. The man's limb looked out of place, while the woman's mouth was a little too big for her skull. Researchers examined the deceased DNA after 10 years and made a gruesome and distressing discovery. These weren't the remains of two individuals. They were made up of the bodies of six different persons that had been fused together, much like Frankenstein's monster from a macabre jigsaw puzzle. The female body was constructed from pieces of people who had passed away about the same period. However, the components of the male physique came from individuals who passed away hundreds of years apart. These jigsaw corpses weren't just put together by pushing bones together. According to the experts, the mummified flesh was still on the bones, which meant that the bodies were still in good condition when they were joined. The Hanging Coffins Near the Three Gorges Dam in China's Hubei region, a group of 113 hanging coffins with an estimated age of 1,200 years have been found on cliff sides and in caves. The discovery represents one of the greatest groups of cliff burials ever discovered in China. The majority of the wooden coffins were discovered crammed into artificial caverns called Caves of the Fairies, which are situated about 100 meters up a cliffside. On the cliff face, there were more coffins tucked between boulders. According to archaeologists, the coffins were built by the Bo people, a minority ethnic group who today live on the boundaries of the modern provinces of Sichuan and Yunnan. They developed a sophisticated civilization there as early as 3,000 years ago. They're believed to have vanished some 400 years ago, taking their unique burial practices with them. Bow-related hanging coffin burials have been discovered in a number of southern Chinese provinces, including Yunnan, Sichuan, Jiangxi, and Fujian. Each coffin is constructed from a single tree trunk that has been hollowed down and was previously covered in bronze. The mystery surrounding the hanging coffins stems from the fact that it's unclear how the massive wooden coffins were transported up the cliffs. Some people think that the coffins had to be lowered from the mountain's peak using ropes, Other people believe that the coffins were placed using wooden stakes driven into the cliff face to serve as man-made climbing aids and others believe that wooden scaffolds or climbing ladders were utilized. However, despite searching extensively, no stake holes have been discovered. The reason the coffins were hanged is also unknown for sure. However, it's believed that they were hung on cliffs so the gods might see them. Others speculate that it was done to prevent animals from visiting their deceased. However, several of them had been pulled apart. Damage was sustained not more than 60 years ago. It's thought that someone discovered the coffins in the 1960s, and instead of reporting the find, tore the wood out for firewood, desecrating an old grave to enjoy a few minutes of warmth. Mummified Lung Complete mummies are a little unsettling, but when a tomb is opened and all that is discovered is a skeleton and a solitary, leathery lung, you've entered some fairly eerie worlds. When archaeologists opened a stone coffin at Basilica St. Denis in Paris in nineteen fifty-nine, they had exactly that experience. The relics belonged to Arnagund, a queen who reigned between approximately five fifteen AD and five eighty AD. It was completely unknown for a very long time why Arnegund's lung had been mummified while her body had completely deteriorated. But in April twenty sixteen, scientists revealed their solution at a meeting in Germany. Arnagund's lung significant amounts of copper as well as chemical residues of plant chemicals it's possible that embalming fluid comprised of herbs and spices was injected down Arnegan's throat and wound up in her lung after she passed away the Queen was buried with a belt made of copper alloy because copper possesses antibacterial qualities the single organ was probably maintained by the combination of embalming herbs and metal Toothy tumor Spanish archaeologists were taken aback by what they discovered in a Roman woman's pelvis when they discovered her 1,600-year-old skeleton. A calcified bone ball with four misaligned teeth was protruding from her hip area. This unsettling find turned out to be an ovarian teratoma, a type of tumor that develops from germ cells. Because germ cells develop into human egg cells, they can create body parts like teeth and bones. The majority of teratomas are benign, just like the one in the pelvis of the Roman woman. Archaeologists believe the woman could have eventually died from tumour complications, although she may not have been aware of the toothy object's presence inside her abdomen. Can you picture her in a world without modern technology and medicine? Spine-chilling, isn't it? In any case, let us know what you think of these discoveries in the comment be. section below.
0: Sumerian, 16 most incredible recent discoveries.
5: This simple 30-second method reverses memory loss for good. It's so easy you can do...
0: Mm. Unexplained mysteries... Channel, 60 most incredible recent discoveries and mysteries to blow your mind.
23: The Kola super deep borehole and why it got sealed. In the time period of the space race when the United States and the Soviet Union were at odds, both were competing to advance their technology and military. The Cold War produced many accomplishments and encouraged scientific progress, such as space travel. However, it has also had ambitious projects that subsequently failed and were abandoned. On the Kola Peninsula in the Arctic Circle, there is an abandoned 1970s Soviet scientific research station. Its decrepit state is jarring against its background of gorgeous forests, lakes and snowy mountains. In the middle of the empty building, a large round metal cap is buried into the floor and bolted down with metal rings. It is quite a small metal cover. You would not even give it a second glance if you did not know to look for it. This cap covers the Kola Superdeep borehole, which some have called the entrance to hell. This hole reaches a staggering depth of 12.2 kilometres, or 40,230 feet. This measurement was recorded in 1989. Many powerful nations were rushing to be the ones to drill the furthest into the Earth's crust and reach the mantle. The Soviet Union came the closest, and it took them nearly 20 years to achieve what they did. Even after this time and this depth, they still only made it through about a third of the Earth's crust. Scientists believe the crust to be a thin layer of the Earth's skin and only 40 kilometers or 25 miles thick. Beneath that lies the mantle and then the Earth's core. The mantle itself is about 2,900 kilometers or 1,800 miles deep, although none of this has actually been confirmed. It is all speculation from research using waves to determine the different layers and densities. Science has always wanted to know what lies beneath the Earth's surface so the superpowers tried to race each other during this time to try and find the answer. They were all very secretive about their findings though, and unwilling to share until much later. Even when they did share information, the other countries would not believe them. Those years were rife with spies and political tension, so there was little trust even amongst scientists. The Soviets claimed they found free water as they were drilling, but those claims were ignored by other countries. The United States was the first power to begin drilling into the earth in 1950. The Soviet Union followed in 1970, and Germany in 1990. It was difficult because they needed advanced technology and machinery that did not even exist yet. They first had to create the tools to accomplish their missions. The US drilled in the Pacific Ocean, where the crust is thinner. However, it is also where the ocean is deepest, making it extra challenging for them. They ended up using multiple propellers on every side of a drill rig to keep it steady in the water. Germany developed the vertical drilling systems which are still used today in the gas and oil industry. In 1967, the US Congress dissolved the drilling project due to high costs. The Mohol project lasted 17 years and cost America 40 million dollars or 28 million pounds, but managed to drill only a few meters deep. The Soviets' Kola project halted in 1992 because the hole's temperatures were much higher than expected, reaching 180 degrees Celsius or 356 degrees Fahrenheit. They lacked the equipment and the money, and with the collapse of the Soviet Union, this led to funding being halted. Germany was also soon forced to stop drilling because of the high expenditure. The dream to drill into the mantle persists. Japan is currently taking the lead, and planning the next drilling project. They hope to continue the drilling in the Pacific Ocean, anticipating a $1 billion project. The Super Superdeep borehole remains abandoned and closed off from the world. When researchers were drilling, they would often hear a deep rumbling, which they had no explanation for. Locals say they can still hear the screams of those being tortured in hell coming from the hole. It was welded shut due to safety concerns, as they did not want anyone messing around and falling in. But perhaps they also feared something else coming out.
17: Listen, you're only going to be happy half the time. Oh, you didn't know that? No one told you? It's true. What else can I tell you? Oh, that all your feelings are created by your thoughts?
23: Something else coming out. Laser Reveals Ancient Pyramids and Canals Hidden in the Amazon Archaeologist Percy Harrison Fawcett dedicated his research to exploring South America and looking for a lost Amazonian city before he went missing in 1925. The expedition during which Fawcett went missing was on his search for Zed. The name given to an ancient lost city he, and others, believed was tucked away in the jungles of Brazil. A great he never found out exactly how the quest for
0: Zed
3: went.
23: Did Fawcett find evidence of the city or not? While we may never be able to answer that question, we can indeed draw closer to finding out where cities may have fallen in the Bolivian Amazon. In 2022, scientists uncovered pyramids and canals sitting beneath the forests. Of course, the trees and greenery can obstruct an aerial view, though LiDAR technology has facilitated researchers' abilities to see through these trees and reveal hundreds of structures and settlements. These discoveries have overwhelmingly been found to have come from the Kassarabi culture of 500-1400 to 1400 A.D. LiDAR is a relatively new technological development that has proved to be invaluable in the field of archaeology up until this point. In this study, it allowed researchers to move through the dense rainforest and make the discovery of pyramids, canals, and what are seemingly town-like civilizations from long before invaders arrived. In this expedition, scientists from Germany and the UK used helicopters fitted with light detection to search through six regions of Bolivia. The Colorado State University archaeologist Chris Fisher said, This is the first of what I hope will be a huge series of studies that will blow the lid off of preconception about what pre-Hispanic polities looked like in the Amazon in terms of their complexity, size and density. The development of technology will continue to let us explore, discover and revolutionise our understanding, slowly changing the world as we know it. (coughs) At first you might be thinking, (laughs) is this a story about a war that occurred over land or an area in which chimpanzees lived, or maybe even a dispute between activists protecting the land and people wanting to use it? Well, it is not what this story is about. It is more complicated than that. In recent years, researchers have learnt a lot about these incredible creatures. One thing that has come to light is that chimps will actively hunt down their enemies. After taking their lives, researchers were shocked to learn that the chimps will even eat their enemy. One such story was told by researchers who were following a group of rivals. They noted that one family purposely staged an attack on the nearby enemies. Once they were finished with the attack, the group carried a baby chimpanzee back to their territory and went on to eat it for a meal. So today, here at Unexplained Mysteries, we'll be taking a look at a community of chimps and their behaviour at the Gombe Chimpanzees War. Hmm. So, what is or was the Gombe Chimpanzee War? First off, we should discuss what the war actually was. Between January 7th, 1974 and June 5th, 1978, Two groups of chimpanzees in the Gombe Stream National Park waged a terrifying and violent war on each other. The two groups of chimpanzees were once part of one unified group, until six adult male chimpanzees, along with three adult female chimpanzees and their young, branched off from the original group, and formed a new chimpanzee community separate from the original. The original group, known as the Kamaha Community, was now left with just 19 adult chimpanzees in total seven males and twelve females along with their young. It is important to note before getting into the conflict that there were only minor signs of the chimpanzees aggressive behavior in relation to the territory before this four-year-long war began. There were disputes over food and where chimpanzees would eat but there was nothing to prepare the researchers for what would happen over those four years. The beginning of the war. On January 7th 1974 at the Gombe Stream National Park in Tanzania, the Gombe Chimpanzee War began with the first casualty. The group that initially splintered off from the original community were known as the Kasakela community, led by the six adult males, Humphrey, Jomio, Fegan, Everard, Rodolph, and Sherry, but was commanded by Fegan, the alpha male who drew first blood. Gody, one of the adult males that stayed with the original group, was feeding alone on a tree when all six of the aforementioned adult males pounced, brutally taking out Gody. When this attack happened, this was the first time any of the chimpanzees had purposely taken out another fellow male. After celebrating their victory, the six males went on to kill Hugh, who led the original group along with Charlie and Dee, two of the other male chimpanzees. After the ambush, with just four remaining adult males in the original Kamaha community, Goliath, an elderly chimpanzee, who had tried to be kind to the Kasakela community in previous encounters that did not involve bloodshed, was then killed when the Kasakela group did not share the same kindness. Now, the Kamaha community had just lost over half its adult males, with just three now remaining, Charlie, now the sole leader, Sniff, and Willy Wally. Unfortunately, Willy Wally had been crippled from polio, so he was unable to defend himself or his community. In rapid succession, without giving the Kamaha group time to fight back or plan their own attack, the Kasekala chimpanzees hit again. This time... Ki- Hi, I'm Russ
14: Hudson. Oh, I am strange. the
4: co-author of The Wisdom of the Enneagram.
7: Hello, I'm Jessica Dibb, What's and it? I am a
17: certified uh-huh. professional Enneagram teacher...
8: Get together, oh get together
13: with Puma.
0: Ayo. Oh. Ayo. Mm-hmm. Uh. Trump produced a Hawking side NFT set. Is Biden too old to ultra in twenty four?
24: Welcome, one and all, down here, up there, out there, all around the world. Welcome to The Late Show. I'm your host, Stephen Colbert. This, right now. This is our last show of 2022. We made it. My New Year's resolutions are going to be working out more (laughs) and not having to talk about Nazis. (laughs) I wonder. (laughs) I wonder which one i'll have to break first (laughs) years ending on a bit of a bang what looked like to be a slow news day has suddenly been transformed into a bracing moment of history and it's all thanks to the former president you see yesterday he posted on his social media site promising a major announcement tomorrow along with this video
20: america needs a superhero
24: Mysterious, what would he possibly use that laser vision for? Jim, can we pull out a little bit? There you go, that makes sense. That's on brand. No one knew what this major announcement was going to be, but there was a lot of actual speculation. Would he announce a long-shot bid to become Speaker of the House? Would he announce his intended running mate? And would Kid Rock say yes? Often, these pre-hyped announcements turn out to be duds, not this one. Because late this morning, the former president dropped the blockbuster news, major announcement, my official digital trading card collection is here! That's right. You read that right. The ex-president of the United States, the ex-most powerful man in the world has launched a line of trading cards. It's Gropimon on with Pikachu. <laughs>
3: Lord
24: have mercy this is the least dignified attempt at post-presidential merchandising since the launch of Tickle Me Truman. (laughs) On the official trading cart website, and yes, there is one, it's (laughs) (laughs) org. Go! The former president tells you just what you can expect from this premium opportunity.
20: I'm doing my first official Donald J. Trump NFT collection right here and right now.
24: He's a business genius. <laughs> Jumping in on the NFT market when it's at its hottest. <laughs> Next, he's releasing an exclusive line of rotary phones. <laughs> the <laughs> hey, hello
8: something. Uh, hello, something man. Yeah, yeah.
24: The trading cards allow you to collect all of your favorite characters from the extended former president universe because every card is him. There's, and these are all real, him playing golf, him approving of gold, him wearing a hat that says Dow, just like they do on Wall Street, and him stealing the torch from the Statue of Liberty. He took her torch. It makes sense. She was holding it to light away for the immigrants. He was like, back, you huddled masses! I'll burn you! I got a silver bullet! Bang, bang! Eat flame, Jose! That's just the beginning. The former president says the cars feature amazing art of my life and career. That's what he says, but they depict him as a cowboy a race car driver, and an astronaut. So, really seems like the cars memorialize everything he's never done, like have abs. Now, you're probably out there saying, you're saying, Steve, you're just picking out the stupidest of these trading cards. No, because they are all equally stupidest. Here he is standing on the 45-yard line about to punch a football, and here's one where he's dressed up as a pilot Standing atop the earth with the sun shining out of where the sun don't shine. (laughs) Any of these priceless images can be yours for only $99 each. That may seem like a lot, but remember, you don't get to choose which one. Because the website says, these trading cards are randomly generated and delivered, so you won't know which cards you receive until you check your wallet after purchase. Okay, let's see what I got. Oh, cowboy again. Okay guess I'm gonna have to pay another $99. Cowboy, all right. Never again. After this one, okay? (laughs) Eric, damn it. (laughs) As always, as always, the former president stands behind whatever he sells with this promise and guarantee. We make absolutely no promise or guarantee that the NFTs will increase in value or maintain the same value as the amount you paid to purchase same. You understand and agree that the NFTs have no inherent monetary value. Solid. Reminds me of the Arby's slogan. We make absolutely no promise or guarantee that what we have is meat. <laughs> tasty, though. I mean, it taste good. Uh, or okay. sauce. In a way, this is all kind of gratifying to me because a monster who tried to install himself as our fascist strongman is now reduced to hawking a line of trading cards. It's like if Hitler escaped the bunker and released Mein Comic Book. (laughs) Of course, if that NFT astronaut wants to be president again, he'll have to defeat Joe Biden, maybe, because Biden hasn't yet said whether he'll run for re-election and Democrats aren't sure if he should. The majority of his own voters say he shouldn't run again, and the major reason is his age. Well, that makes sense. Most 80-year-olds aren't out there battling Putin. They're at home battling pudding. (laughs) Honey. Honey! 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 I can't get the spoon through the skin! Bring me my cordless drill! Apparently, the president is getting sick of all the talk about his age. Recently, snapping at one ally. You think I don't know how old I am? Sorry, my language got saltier. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, folks. No. Mother, look. Sorry, my language got a little saltier than Rehoboth Taffy, but jeepers, Jack. What's up? I know how old I am. I've known since back when you could buy a nickel for a penny. Look. I know the number. You know the number. Why don't you just say it, and I'll tell you if you're right. 80? Fair enough. Okay. For these teeth, only 15. Give them a tap. They ring like chimes. You should hear me in the breeze. One person, not saying. For me? If you people at home only knew the journey we've been on here. One person not staying in their job is outgoing Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi, seen here showing what she'd do to Kevin McCarthy's balls if he had any. Pelosi. A diamond. Pelosi passed the torch of Democratic leadership in the House to Hakeem Jeffries yesterday to mark the end of her term. Republicans and Democrats got together to unveil her official portrait. That is really, that is really lovely. But that's just my opinion. What do you think of the painting, Madam Speaker? Whoa, nice. What were you going to do if you didn't like it? Okay, tough but fair. And and who is likely to follow you as the next speaker? The poo poo. Yes. Yes. An after... Ap- Yes, app description, but his friends call him Kevin. Now, it seems like every day there's another stupid news story about Tesla CEO and Bond villain announcing, I will destroy the world unless you give me $8 a month. Elon Musk, ever since Musk bought Twitter, he's claimed to be a free speech absolutist and even tweeted, my commitment to free speech extends even to not banning the account following my plane, even though that is a direct personal safety risk. The account he's talking about, at Elon Jet, is one that automatically posts the movements of his private jet. And to Musk's credit, he stood by his free speech principles and let it stay up. Until yesterday, when Twitter suspended the account that tracked Musk's private jet, at Elon Jet, was created by a Florida college student who, in the past, offered Musk uh, to take down the account for a price. I remember telling my uh, roommate, hey, uh, Elon Musk, just direct message me. According to the messages, Elon said, I don't love the idea of being shot by a nutcase, and then offered Jack $5,000 to shut the account down.
14: And then I basically asked for 50000 or a Tesla, and he said, uh, thinking about
24: it. But Musk decided not to shell out $50,000 to shut the kid up, Instead, spending $44 billion to buy the company and ban him, he's a financial genius. And as a result, I got a couple. I got a couple, things. There you go. As a result of this business savvy, must net worth has recently plummeted. And this week, he sold $3.5 billion of Tesla stock. And no one knows why. I think I know why. Could it be to invest in... Trading cards. We got a great show for you tonight. My guests are Anderson Cooper and Andy Cohen, but when we come back, it's puppies.